it. Come on. Let's oh. go. 1-0. Who could have seen that coming? Me! Oh, I saw true. it coming. I guess you did. You saw it coming. Who'd, I, you, who'd you pick and beat the boys? I picked the Seahawks. That doesn't mean I felt good about my pick. Hot I was shot. contrarian. If the season oh, ended today, <laughs> yeah. the NFC West champs, in fact, crazy. if the season ended yesterday. Yeah. Well, I was NFC. wondering about that. Oh, yeah. So they would be champs even at 0-0? Zero, well, zero? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I'd be like, yeah, who knows? But if yeah. the season ended today, the NFC West Unreal. champs, your Seattle Seahawks, and it's 49ers week. It's 49er week, everyone. Let's go. <laughs> All right, Mitch Unfiltered with former Issaquah High School fullback, number 43, That's Hot right. Shots Scott The greatest one ever. Stump the band. Oh, boy. I, I think I'm scratching my, my stump the band question that I had prepared for episode 206. Okay. Because I feel like I owe you a different stump the band oh. question, which is, Pulling as down. we all know, an audible is out there. Nathaniel Hackett, yes, this is an audible. Okay. Nathaniel Hackett, the brand new head coach of the Denver Broncos, yeah. decided, or did he, I'll come back to that, he decided that he was going for the 64 yard field goal instead of fourth and five. Thank you so much for the Hanukkah gift. Thank you very much, Early. <laughs> um. So what were the chances that this guy McManus was going to kick a 64-yard field goal to win the game for the Broncos in lieu of their $250 million man, Russell Wilson? How many how many field goals in NFL history oh. have been converted from 64 yards or more? Stump the band, episode 206. Well, I think uh, Jason Elam's got one. No, I don't think so. I think his was 63 yards. Really? Yeah, this was 64. What about the cat Dempsey? I think his with the, you mean the half a foot? Yeah, half a foot. Yeah, no, no. I think it's like 62 or But he didn't have toes. No, no, no. Really? They're more recent. They're more recent. In fact, I think one was last year, 2021. Oh. Justin Tucker. Tucker, Yeah, I probably could have got that. Of the the Baltimore Ravens inside in Detroit. Okay. Off of the plunk, off of the crossbar, oh, bar, and then 66 yards. Wow, okay. Okay? I remember that. Matt Prater of the Lions, I believe, inside 64 yards. Those are the only two, as we sit here today, I think, huh. unless I have outdated information, okay. those are the only two in the history of the NFL from 64 yards or more, and I believe both of them were inside. So this would have been the long, I believe, the longest outside. And it's fourth and five. And your team is averaging eight yards of play the entire night. Yeah. You've got like a 70% chance of converting on fourth and five. Am I wrong about that? Had they gone for it, what would, what would have been your level of confidence on fourth and five that they were not going to get the first down? Not very good. 30%, 20%? Yeah, yeah like around 30%. So we're going to try... The longest outdoor field goal in the history of the NFL, as opposed to a 70% chance (laughs) of getting the the first down with our $250 million new quarterback. So You gave up a lot for that guy to have him standing there with folded arms watching a kicker try to win it. Yes, you did. So, Nathaniel Hackett, who I believe is Paul Hackett's son, the former USC coach and longtime NFL coach. Okay. He's going to get, and he's already getting, as we're recording this, skewered everywhere. I'm sure, yeah. How could you do that? And now they've already asked the question on Sports Center: Is Russell Wilson pissed about this? Oh boy! Are you getting he off on the wrong? He's uh, coming back to Seattle. <laughs> right. Have you started on the right foot? And what did I tell you before we started to record? What did I say Get about the dog out? 
What? Get the dog out? Before get the dog out. Okay. What did I say before get the dog out? Oh, uh, you said if you were the PR person, yes. you would pull him aside and the you fan- have the perfect thing to I say. I have the per- Well, nothing's perfect because you lose. You're going to look like an idiot either way, right? Okay. You look like an idiot right now, right? So if I'm the PR, this is why I should be the PR director, the pre- president of public relations of the Denver Broncos. I would have grabbed him and I would have said, hey, let me just give you an idea. Now, I want to say that as we record this at night, I have not heard his explanation. So for all I know, he's using what I'm about to tell you, and I don't know. Now I can't wait to find out. I want to go listen. Okay. There's nothing he can... As a PR guy, I I say to him, hey, I just want to throw something at you. You can say... Ultimately, it's your choice how you want to fall on the sword. Yeah. You can fall on the sword many, many ways. But right now, you're getting killed for picking a 64-yard field goal attempt over our 250 million. So let me just give you an idea, and then you decide whether you want to run with it or not. Okay. And here's the idea. Guys, I didn't choose the 64-yard field goal over the quarterback. The mistake that I made was letting the time go off the clock and not take the time ah. out. And I got I made that huge mistake as the head coach, all my responsibility, <laughs> but then I got into the p- situation where I had so little time, it made more sense to kick the field goal with 10 with 14 seconds. My mistake wasn't that mm. I picked the field goal over the quarterback. My mistake was my clock management. I should have called a timeout right after the third down play, and then had I done that, I would have picked Russell Wilson <laughs> over the kicker. That's not bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. Right? Yeah, but then they would say, well, how much time was left when you kicked the field goal? 20 seconds. Well, yeah, I, I think it was 20 seconds, but then you're now figuring, okay, I still now only have 20 seconds. No, I have plenty of time to run the play and get the first yeah. down. And and maybe the argument still is you should still go for the first down with 20 seconds. Yeah. But, you know, now I, I get five or six. I'm still on our side of the 50. Ultimately, you know, well, yeah. whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, look, it's not it's not a perfect. Oh, yeah, I'm just workshopping this with you to make sure it yeah. comes out correctly. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think he can save a little face yeah. over the decision to choose the kicker <laughs> over the quarterback yeah. and fall on the sword a different way. He's I don't know. Choosing I don't know a what different mistake. Yeah. Right. I don't know. That was bizarre, though, wasn't it? Even the announcers were like, they have all three timeouts, right? Like, they kept saying it. And it was like, that, that felt like a Seahawk move, didn't it? Like, that felt like exactly like something <laughs> that would have happened to the Seahawks where you're screaming at your TV, why are they not taking yeah. a timeout? Right. Bizarre. Such a weird end to that. And when you saw the kicker come out to kick the field goal, how'd you feel as a Seahawks fan? Well, I was feeling pretty good until the first one was long enough. Yeah. He just missed it. Okay. And but now, how, But how are you feeling watching Russell Wilson stand on the sidelines yeah. watching his kicker try a 64-yard field? I mean, how many fourth and whatevers have you seen Russell Wilson complete at the end of games? Like, Seahawks fan, like Pete Carroll even said in the press conference, they had their defense going out there. They were going to win the that's game why on the fourth down. That's why they had to call a timeout. The yeah. Seahawks had to call their last timeout. It was just... It's crazy. It was just relief. When I, I was like, this is a, this is a gift from the heavens. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm going to tell you now, you'll, you'll say, okay, because you're, you're the classic pessimist. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. As sure as I'm sitting here, mm-hmm. I believe... Had they gone for it on fourth down, they would have made it on fourth down, and he would have ultimately kicked the game. They would have lost the game. I, I am, not, you know, you're never certain. Maybe the Seahawks would have come up with a play on defense. Maybe somebody would have tipped it down. Maybe they would have. Yeah. I don't, but I'm telling you, 
The Seahawks were going to lose that game. The Seahawks were in position to lose that game. I agree. And they didn't because, thank you, Nathaniel Hack. I always get nervous when they call the timeout, but the kicker goes through with it and kicks it anyway. Yeah, he gets a practice kick. I don't like the practice kick. I don't like the practice It's like kick. G- give an NBA player a second chance to make a free throw or a three-pointer. Anyway. They're making it every time. So I was a little nervous after he missed it. Mitch Unfiltered is available on all major podcast platforms. We really need to be rated and reviewed. Please, people. Go to Apple Podcasts if you enjoy the show. Give us five stars and give us a little review. Here's the King of Magnolia. Here's what he wrote on Apple Podcasts. Five stars makes my Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Keep up the great work. Love the interviews and insights. This has become, listen to this, this is written on Apple. Oh, it is. This has become the Thinking Person's Sport Podcast. How is that possible? Always good for fresh views. All my views are the same since 1978. (laughs) Still doing Stump the Band, for God's sakes. Good laughs. I've been cornier than I've ever been. And high-quality guests, which we don't get anymore. Right. Can I give you more than five stars? If I could, I would. Co-hosts are all great. Scott Slick apostrophe would be fun to hear a staff meeting show sometime. That's not the worst idea I've ever heard. All four of us. Since when do we have a... A staff meeting. Well, not, not a meeting, but just like a little bonus show with the four of us talking. Oh, God. I've never talked to Slickhawk, I don't think. Never? I don't think I ever have. Mm. I've talked to Danny, but not on the air. Yeah, that's a good idea. No, that was like a it. nice five-star rating. That's good. Another guy called huh. Bizarro Geronimo yeah. gave us one star on Apple Podcasts. Really? Yes, he did. Hopscotch has to go. Oh, no. The show has gone downhill <laughs> with Hopscotch Scott. <laughs> Who frequently displays his political colors on the show. Oh, here we go. And makes fun of people who hold Christian beliefs. I do, yes. All the time. Mitch eggs him on and seems to enjoy it. (laughs) Yes, you do. It's taken away from my enjoyment of the show. It's too bad because Mitch is a great interviewer and storyteller. But the jabs at Christians and conservatives ruins the show. One star. And now we're not going to get guests. Because they're going to go check yeah. it out and, and see that we only got one star. Am I constantly shitting on people who have Christian beliefs? Is that, is that what somebody would... According now, to Geronimo, you I are. would appeal to the fair-mindedness Bizarro of our listeners. Tell me if, in fact, you think I'm constantly doing that. Constantly. In fact, I have a joke today in my headlines where I go after... The other side. But now I'm going to take it out because of this dick. <laughs> now I'm taking it out. Did you just call him a dick? Oh, of course. He hates me, so now I'm going to hate him. because He's making oh. It's not true. I don't go after Christians. What's he talking about? Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron for $5 a month and have access to all the bonus shows, Danny O'Neill, Slickhawk, music entries. If you'd like to be a patron with access, but the $5 a month is too much of an issue, I'll take care of you. Just write me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and tell me, hey, I can't do the $5, but I would love to be the patron. $5 is just... Not in the cards for me per month. No questions asked. I'll take care of it. Nice. Okay. Beat the boys. Yes. I was two and one. Okay. I had the Dolphins. I can't believe I, I, I'll never pick the Cowboys again. <laughs> I don't care if they play Newport High School. <laughs> I'm not picking the Cowboys again. <laughs> Fine. And then I had the, uh, the Seahawks, the mighty Seahawks. Yeah, so I think I the only one. one I got right was the Seahawks, so... Not what? a great start for me. Wait, you had the Patriots yeah. over my Finzies? I did, yeah. Sorry well, about why, that. Why would you do well, something like that? Well, I don't know. Like it's check. I just, you know, he scares me. I always pick him. I think. I'm going to check right now just to make sure. You got one right. I think I did, Which is yeah. one exactly one more than you're going to get right when you don't call in or you don't do your picks. <laughs> That's true, yes. All right, so I owe, you, I owe you beat the boys week two games and a password, right? right. You need a password to do, ga- to do week two. Yep. Do you want the games or you want the password first? Let's go password. Julio. Like it. J-U-L-I-O, no caps. 
Julio is the password. Fins at Ravens this week. I don't know why I keep going back to the Fins, but it's a good game. Fins at Ravens. Bucks at Saints. You know that Tom Brady is like 0-4 in the regular season against the Saints. Huh, okay. And the Vikings at the Eagles. Those are the huh. three games. Fins and Ravens, Bucks and Saints. Vikings at the Eagles. Password Julio. Thank you, Fireside Home Solutions. Yes. John Waterstrat, FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Up to $300 off of inserts this fall and this winter. Check them out, FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Episode 206, the Seattle area code 206. Episode 206. Oh, there you go. I like it. The regulars, Brady Henderson, Joe Fan. Goddamn Christians. Go on. On the Seahawks, no table. No, I'm not going to be able to stop. The win over the Broncos. (laughs) God, that's stupid. Rick Neuheisel, (laughs) CBS College football analyst on the dogs against number 11 Michigan State this week. Hot shot will be there. That's right. I talk about myself in the third person. I shall be there screaming them on. That's nice. Can't wait. That's Should be nice. fun. Yeah. That's going to be a great atmosphere. It's going to be a, think. a great test too, right? I mean, they oh, look. Yeah. This is a chance for them to get back in kind of the good graces of college football experts. They're legit or they're not. We're going to find out on Saturday. Right? I mean, if well, they beat Michigan State, then you can say what they're is legit. Le- what is legit? A, a solid top 25 team that deserves to be in the top 25 or top 15. If they beat Michigan State... Well, they'll be in the top 25 if they beat Michigan State. There's no sure. question about that. Yeah, yeah. Whether they'll stay in the top 25 the whole season? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. But I can't wait for that game. And I hope the fans bring it, because they sounded great at the stadium for the Seahawks game. Sounded amazing, I thought. Well, have Husky fans been beaten down to the point where they're not going to even come for the Michigan's? I mean, not that they won't come, but they don't fill the place. It's like a four-something start, so Taiyi... You know, 98-year-old Thai people can't complain. <laughs> yeah, right. Of, of which I think this guy who wrote... Let him, anyway. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> let me tell you about guest number three on episode 206. Do you remember we talked about a $12.6 million Topps Mickey Mantle baseball card that just was sold? I do. The most valuable piece of baseball memorabilia of all time. We have the man who sold it. Wow. The man who's counting his money as he looks overlooks the ocean. Oh. He was overlooking the ocean while he talked to me. Was said, he really? What are you doing? I'm just looking at the ocean in my oh. house. A $12.6 million baseball card. Baseball he and his card. family. That's a great story. He tells the whole story on how he bought it 30 years ago. He had to send his son, who was 17 at the time, over to try to buy it. They bought it for 50 grand, by the way. Oh. Is that a pretty good profit? I mean, is that a yeah, I think is, I is that a good investment? I think I'm no expert, well but yeah. okay. <laughs> wow, good for him. So Anthony Giordano okay. is the 76 year old who just a couple of weeks ago sold his 1952 Mickey Mantle Topps baseball card for 12.6 million, and he'll be guest number three on this episode 206. But let's start hot shot with a few words about our partners like Evergreen Golf Call. Everybody asks me, what are you saying? G-A-V-E-K-A-L, Golf Call. Tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, amazing how much Zeke's has grown in the last four years. Two brand new locations opened their doors on the same day. Seward Park and a biggie, Mount Lakes Terrace Station. Now news of Boise, Idaho, and the first out-of-state Zeke's Pizza location on the horizon, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, a Northwest staple for the best steaks and seafood. You're going to hear from CEO Lindsey Schwartz 
that Daniels is an underrated place to watch football as well, all the locations. In fact, I understand that Bellevue's historic bar area is going through a beautiful remodel. NFL season is back, as is Beat the Boys. Every single person that beats us wins a prize. And by the way, up to $300 off gas fireplace inserts right now at Fireside. Can't be a better time to plan for fall and winter. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage. Jordan Flowers is going to explain why the Seattle home market is not cooled as much as other areas in the country on this episode 206. Also, some home buying seminars being offered. Seven minutes is all you need with the lead man, Jordan Flowers, 425-890-2957. Episode 206 is about to begin right now. Unfiltered. If I was at the Snoqualmie Casino and I was offered five and a half over under, I would definitely take the over. I think the Seahawks, especially when you consider that they're playing the Jets at home, the Giants at home, the Falcons at home, and the Panthers at home. Those are four shit teams at home. I think that they'll probably be a little better than Vegas expects. Unfiltered. I would love to see them kick his ass. I would love to see them sack him eight times. I want to see him hold the ball, try to escape, and Daryl Taylor or just pummels him. I'd like to see him go down a lot, get hit a lot. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 206, Hotshot Scott. As excited as I am for that big Seahawk win, the Mariners have me on fire too. Like That's I can so only funny. take so much. We didn't rehearse this. And by the way, how many Genos in my life do I have to like root for now? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like I never I'm thought about inundated that. by Genos that I love. It's so funny that you you open two oh six with those remarks because that's exactly what I had on my notes to say. Mm. Yes. It was Russell Wilson's return. There were a lot of boos. Yes, the Seahawks openers in the books, and they won on Monday Night Football. Yes, UW has a chance to become relevant again this Saturday against Michigan State. Yes, the Cougars went to Madison, Wisconsin, and beat a top 25-ranked Big Ten team. With Kenny B in the stands, our old pal. But we can't start the show, I agree with you, without mentioning not only the Mariners, Obviously, the Mariners in their pursuit of breaking the... And we'll get to that in a second. I'll play a little Mr. Playoffs for you. But I got to say something even more demonstrative about the, the Mariners. Okay. And this might be classic Mitch Levy hyperbole that in five years from now or in a year from now, you're going to be like, no, nah, Mitch, you're just getting too excited. <laughs> okay. That Sunday game, okay? That Sunday game, I think Rose to kind of transcend the season. I was thinking about this the other day after the game where they beat the Braves in the rubber match in front of 45,000. They give up five in the ninth. They turn around and get a home run from the rookie and a home run from Gino, both of their second home runs of the the game, and they pull it out. The place is going crazy. The Atlanta Braves never come here. Right. And they're world champions. They're the reigning world champions, and they're one of the best, if not the best team in, in baseball again. You know, I was thinking, you don't really remember 10 years later, 20 years later, like individual games. If I said to you, can you recall, let's go back to the 2001 season when they won 116 games. Is there anything from that season (laughs) in terms of a regular season game that you kind of remember vividly? I I can tell you that the game after 9-11, the first game back after Mm. they suspended games, I can recall that vividly. All right. I remember 
a little bit about the last game of the season. I remember that, okay. If I went back to 95, when they came back from like 12 games down when we were trying to get a yeah. new stadium. I remember more from that, but... Regular season games? Like the Doug Strange home okay, run. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. The Doug Strange... That stands out to me. Okay, so yeah. there's one. I think Alex Diaz had a big home run and he was... Okay, like do, but do you remember the game? No, I can't tell you like really when it was. So yeah, no, I, you're I think right. Mariner fans remember like the game that the Griffies hit the two home runs. That's right. You remember that kind of you stuff. Remember that game? Yeah. I think we remember kind of like moments. Right. We remember Ichiro... Gunning, gunning somebody third. down at third, but yeah. but do you remember what game that was in? No, I kind of think now again, I'll allow you to say, Mitch, this is just so fresh and so new. You're full of shit. Fifteen years from now, <laughs> I think this is the type of game that, like, ten years from now, if you say to me, Mitch, do you remember that 2022 team when Julio was a rookie? And they're playing the Braves, and they give up five in the ninth, and then Julio hits a home run in his rookie season. And that's the year, by the way, that they broke the playoff drought. Yeah. I think we're going to remember. I think this game, Sunday, and the way it ended kind of transcends everything because of all the different layers that I just explained. Braves, reigning champs. Right. You don't play the Braves very often. 45,000 were there. You're pursuing a playoff spot. It's the rookie that hits his second home run of the game that we've been talking about all year. There's just something about that Sunday game that I think overcomes everything. And we'll, we're God, God willing, I'll remember my name in 10, 12 years. <laughs> right. But I think I'm going to remember this game yeah. Sunday. No, I agree with you. I don't, I don't get to watch typically every single inning of every single no, Mariner game. Not. But I'm so happy I sat down and watched seven through nine, and I, I couldn't have loved it any. I, I, couldn't, well, I couldn't believe what I was watching when they gave up the five oh, spot. Like, I just, how I, painful was that? I, I was like, because I said on Twitter. Two strikes, two outs. Right, yeah. <laughs> one run lead. Castillo somehow hustles to first base. He, he, you think that guy could even run. He gets that out, so you're feeling kind of lucky. But I going one and two against the Braves, it's only one game different. Felt way worse than two and one for some oh, reason to me, didn't it? So I really wanted that two and one. And what's funny is you probably didn't even you didn't even really need the game all that. The game itself didn't have like like playoff ramifications. Right. It's just a game, yeah. You're 22 get you've got, and that's that's where Mr. Playoffs comes in. You're as we record this on a Monday night, you're 22 games to go. You've played 140 out of 162. You are 79 and 61. You know how many games against 500 teams you have of those 22 games? You know how many games against 500 teams left? No. Dose. Out of 22. And it's the next two. Oh. They're going to play Tuesday against the Padres, and then I'm going to go take the family to Wednesday afternoon against the Padres. The Tatis-less Padres? Or no? Yeah, the Soto-full pa Padres. Oh, right. The Juan Soto-full yeah. Padres. And after those two games, they will not play the remaining 20 games. Actually, the remaining, yeah, 20 games. They will not play one game against anybody who's 500. Mm. So they could go 20 or what, 20 and two. <laughs> well, they could win the number one wild card. Oh, you can look at it from the, from the pessimist side. Like I tend to look at these things. If they go 11 and 11 in the next 22, which they should do a lot better than yes. looking at their opponents. If they go 11 and 11, the Orioles have to go 18-4 and four oh, okay. to catch them. All right. If they just do five, 500 bare minimum, they're in. they're in. If they don't make it now, I mean, at this point, it would be one of, well, 
it'd be a large collapse. I can't believe it, that it's I'm... almost inconceivable that they won't make the playoffs. Now. Right. I, I want that number one wild card. Everybody though. wants. I'm a number not one even wild thinking card. about whether everybody wants. They're making it. Card. They're everyone, making it. Everyone wants a number one wild card. How do you like Gino Suarez? By the way, I hated the acquisition. Okay. Not because I, I thought that Gino Suarez. I'll be the first to admit it. I thought he was one of these guys that comes to our – he he could hardly hit 200 in Cincinnati, a hitter's ballpark. Yeah. So I figured, oh, my God, he's going to come out and get lost. He'll probably hit 150 and hit 15 home runs. Yeah. And, he'll, and he's been just phenomenal. And I like his attitude. I like his smile. Don't love his hair. Love his <laughs> smile. Love his attitude. He's yeah. got this very kind of happy-go-lucky thing going on. He's very calm, cool, collected. Love him, and it turns out that the guy that they really wanted in that deal was Winker, right? And he shouldn't even be play- you shouldn't even let him near the ball. They should have <laughs> Sam Haggerty, yeah, in in left field every as far as I'm concerned, just about every night. I think a lot of people think that, yeah. But they went out and they love Winker, and nothing, nothing from Winker. But anyway, I figured we start with the Mariners, even though the the, the Se- and the Seahawks are one and zero, and they'll face the 49ers this week, short work week, and they go face the Trey Lance led, yeah. 0-1, San Francisco 49ers. Um, I, I think if you're being realistic about Monday, we can all be excited that they won. It's great that they won. It's awesome that they won. I love that they beat Russell Wilson. I just love it. Uh, it's great. I wish they would have made the night a little bit harder on Russell Wilson. It felt like a pretty easy night for him. Most of his completions were to wide open tight ends and receivers. Yeah. Even the long one, he underthrew drastically. The guy was, you know, 10 yards ahead behind the the, the cornerback, yeah. Kobe Bryant. It didn't feel like, I, I think the better, the more fun outcome would have been a win and you kind of... <laughs> Stick it to him? You kind of pummeled hit a couple him. times, couple, but yeah. Not really. It wasn't a hard night for him. It wasn't a hard night. No. I mean, the, the defensive line couldn't get pressure, so they would bring help and then he would just throw it where that, that person had to vacate. Right, right. And that was all night long and it was annoying it was, and frustrating. It just, was pretty yeah. easy. It, it was, was pretty yeah. easy for him. It was. The only guy that really contained him was Nathaniel Hackett, his head coach. <laughs> right. Jamal Adams had a cool sack on him that took him out of the game for some reason. But I don't think he ever got that sack. I don't think he got it. I think he got rid of the ball. He did? Yeah. No, I, I think he made the tackle. No, it was Where no he sack. came up the middle and got hurt, that one? Yeah, he didn't get a sack. Really? I thought Yeah, they sure had two sacks. No, I don't think Jamal huh. Adams had one of the sacks. I may be wrong. I don't, I don't think know. he had one of the sacks. Yeah, that's a... How about that? I mean, do we have He's to talk hurt about in the it? Fir- yeah, yeah. I, I, we don't have to. Pete He's Carroll. hurt in the first game. Pete, first game was like the second, did, third quarter. Did you right? listen to Pete Carroll on your way over here? Yeah, he just said he thinks it's serious, but he couldn't elaborate. <sighs> I know. Awesome. It's it's um, and by the way, it wasn't even like he took no. a heart. It was like it was no. nothing. I didn't see any. I didn't even see any kind of no extension. No nothing. Nothing. He just rolled over. It seemed like he kind of swung a little bit. His legs came off the ground and he swung. It didn't seem like there was any Ugh. there was anything there. I thought maybe we would get away with this and that he'd come back yeah, in a me few too. weeks or whatever. Ah. But I mean, again, I don't I don't know how serious God, how Pete haunting just used that the word trade is. is. Trade is it too crass to cut him tomorrow? You can't no, cut it. No. <laughs> I mean, it just I feel sorry for the guy. I I I I can tell his frustration on the sideline too. I mean, it's look, Percy Harvin, he couldn't stay. There's just some guys who have this incredible talent who just can't stay healthy. It's a it's a hard game. Not everyone has the body for but it. But the first game back. I know, I know, I know. Did it have to be the first game back in the first half of the first game? In the first quarter of the first oh, game? Gosh, I know. Shit. <laughs> 
And he actually looked, he looked fired up. Out, he's yeah, running, he's running around, around. They taking, put him in position to make some plays. They yeah, let him blitz a little bit. Taking bad angles shot. on the run. But, you know, he yeah, was out there doing his the thing. Run. No, he sure wasn't. <laughs> and he can't catch the ball. So, at this point, we've come to a crossroads on Mitch Unfiltered. Okay. We can end the first segment here, go to the, go to the interviews. Okay. And then come back for the other stuff segment. Or we can speak the truth about the Seattle Seahawks performance on Monday night. You know, I'm all, you know, they won. We're all excited. I'm excited. You're excited. Yeah. Listeners are excited. Do we want to speak the truth about what happened on Monday night, which was they were just about thoroughly outplayed in every dimension of the football game. And that really, it came down to, and by the way, I don't take any credit away. It came down to two things. It came down to some incredible goal line plays yeah. by the defense to stop them from getting in the end zone and force turnovers, a couple of huge plays, and it came down to a couple of huge penalties on the Broncos' defense to give the Seahawks first downs. Outside, and and look, you can't say outside of that. I know people are yelling at me like, Mitch, that's part of the game. Yeah. They got to give them credit, and I do. I give, I give the Seahawks' defense all the credit in the world for that goal, for those two goal line stands. Yeah, they didn't give up. And I guess I give them all the credit in the world for the yeah. penalties on the Denver Broncos defense. Yeah, the, the the Seahawks game ball should go to the Bronco penalties. Congratulations, Bronco penalties. You had a hell of a game. Get it. Thank you for helping Got us. It. Yes, I'm with you. The but penalties. the ugly truth is, outside of that, they were pretty well dominant. Now, now I will say this. The offense was great in the first half. Yep. Gino was great in the first half. 13 he, for 13 to start, I think. Yeah, and then he finished. He missed a couple passes. 22 for 28 or something no, like no, that. No, no, I'm talking to 20. He was 22 or 23 for 28. But yeah. talk about in the first half. He oh. had 160, 170, Crazy. 180 yards, and he barely missed a pass. The offense was efficient, much better than anybody thought that they would be in the first half. Including me. The offense was zero in the second <laughs> half. Wow. Non-existent. They couldn't even hardly get a first down without a penalty on the Denver defense. Yeah. And so you ask why. And I have my own thought on this that we're going to probably be talking about all year. And that is that they call the game so conservatively in terms of the pass game. They don't stretch the field. Did they try one long ball? One like legitimate fly pattern long ball nope. to stretch the field? At some point, defenses are going to go, they, these guys don't even threaten us deep. Yeah. So let's just creep everybody up, safeties up. Let's not let them run. Let's take the intermediate passes away. Let's take the tight ends away. The Seahawks, I don't care who their quarterback is. And in the first half, it worked. They've got to take some shots. Yep. They can't. This is 2022. You got to let the yeah. ball go. Let the effort fly. I don't care if they're incomplete. I don't care if they're intercepted. Yeah. You can't call a whole game. You can't go a whole game without saying to the defense, look, you better respect us because we're going to throw to DK deep or we're going to throw to Lockett. If you're going to throw 10 yard passes to tight ends the whole first half, you're not going to get much in the second half. Yeah, it's not going to work after a while. So, yeah. I mean, the, the one. I don't want to complain because they won. Well, it's but... look, it's tell the truth Tuesday when this comes out. Okay. And this is called unfiltered. Okay. And I don't think anyone thinks this team's winning the Super Bowl. So they're not, not winning the Super Bowl. You're not going to hurt anyone's feelings. I have a feeling. No, they're not winning Seahawk the Super Bowl. Fans. But one pass I remember downfield was a touchdown. I, to the mean, tight end? Yeah, what's his name? Colby. In the first half? Yeah. Oh, no, Col uh, oh, Parkinson? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that it, was the, the, the longer one was Disley in the first half, I think. 
Yeah, no? I mean, he, yeah, he like floated that, but but I mean, like he actually threw it downfield. But yeah, but that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I know. I'm, I'm talking about I'm threatening one that corners. I can remember. I'm talking about threatening yes, corners and safeties, yeah. making safeties have to respect yep. that. Hey, they might try to run by me. If if I mean, you got to. Well, it's you 2022. Have, you have two good receivers too. Like, they call the game like it's freaking 1947 <laughs> in Chicago. Chuck they Knox do. And, and, and we, but you know, this isn't a surprise. We knew this was going to happen because this is what he loves about Gino. They want to manage the game. And, and Pete Carroll is driving home on Monday night just like the cat who ate the canary. We played the game offensively exactly the way I – he doesn't even give a shit that they hardly got a first down in the second half yeah. and that they couldn't keep their defense off the field because they kept on going like three and out or whatever. They even fumbled a couple times. See, I was going to ask you about that. Did it feel like Pete Carroll had something to prove with Geno tonight or Sunday or Monday night, whenever the hell they played? It felt like he had something to prove. Like, I, th- I think Penny could have got the ball a few more times. He had 12 carries for 60, 60 yards. yards yeah. Five yards of carry ain't bad. Maybe try him a little more. And by the way, doesn't, isn't Pete Carroll one who loves the running game? Yeah. We're going to run the ball. And, yeah. and, and didn't all, all, these, all your listeners tell me that Penny's going to be in the Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah. Well, hold on a second. They, they had 28 pass attempts. Okay. And they had 20 run attempts. Yeah, but let's, let's go with Penny, the, the, the guy who everyone thinks is going to be in the Hall of Fame, all your I listeners. Don't, I don't, you know, I... It just felt like Pete had something to prove. Like, nah, Gino's so. my guy. I'm going to show you all. Because he mentioned it like five times in the press conference. Yeah, but ultimately... How no one gave him any credit. Ultimately, it's Shane Waldron who's calling the plays. And I know that they have a game plan before. And yeah. they, but as the game progresses, okay. Shane Waldron's calling the plays. I, I don't. I, I had no problem with the mixture run versus pass. That's not what I'm saying, obviously. Yeah. You heard what I said. It's not that they had 28 versus 20. I'm okay with that. Yeah. But I was just asking you. It's the it's 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 the conservative nature of the actual pass plays. Yeah. Everything is very like buttoned up and very careful. It seems to me very careful. And again, you got to stretch the field. You got to heave one. Gino can throw that ball sixty yards in the air. No question. You got to throw one yeah. and let and, and just see what happens. And I wonder how much of that is on him. Because I'm sure every pass play has at least one guy going deep, and he's just choosing not to throw it. Or he's just taking the, you know, he's going through his progression and just hard finding to, the easy one hard that's to say. open. Yeah, I don't hard know. Hard to say. Yeah, maybe he'll get more comfortable, and maybe he will throw further down the field at yeah. some point, because it would be nice. I'm and then you. defensively, not good. I, yeah, again, great game-saving at the goal line in a couple of different instances. Yeah. but And then bailed out. To the to the cows come home, if that's the expression, <laughs> by the Denver Bronco head coach at the end of the game. Yeah, and the penalties. And the penalties. Yeah. Well, the penalties were on more. Yeah. But yeah, but I just mean, not. I mean, they gave up four hundred and let's see here. I think it's four hundred and sixty yards, something like that. It felt like two different defenses, though. I feel like the the second half defense played a lot better. You only feel like the second half defense played a lot better because they made the plays at the goal line. If the Broncos punch it in those two times, yeah. you don't feel like the okay. How many punts did the Broncos have? How about that? <laughs> I don't, did they even punt? I can't think. I'm sure they one none one. Yeah, they forced one yeah. punt yeah. again. Again, I don't want to. I don't want to completely disregard the plays at the goal line. That yeah. that was the game. That's the story of the game. Yeah. Those two those two goal line stands. Incredible. So they get they get credit for that. But boy, they give Ben don't break a whole new. <laughs> they're as close to breaking as you can get. <laughs> there's a whole new poster child for Ben don't break. I used to watch the Dolphins in the Marino days. Yeah. Play the Ben don't break defense. Oh yeah. 
Oh boy, we're gonna we're gonna be watching this all year long. The Ben don't break Seattle Seahawks defense. The defensive line was literally getting blown back in the first no quarter. I mean, no uh, they would run the ball. Nobody put a hand on the guy until no he was good. eight yards down the field. It was no it was tough to watch. Now it looks like they have a lot of young guys and they a do. lot of speed. They do. They're just not in the right places and they're not making the, they do. wrapping up and making the plays. So I will say this that this guy Woolen who got the two or three pass interference calls yeah. that were very costly on third down and put the ball down near the goal line for them to make the goal line stand. I'm going to cross you up on this one. Okay. I'm kind of encouraged by him. Hmm. Those were gigantic bad F penalties. But if you notice in in, in those penalties, he's in position. Yeah, he just doesn't have his head around, but he's there. He seems to yeah. be in position, and my guess is he's probably not completely – he doesn't quite completely trust himself yet. Mm. So at the moment of truth, when the ball's coming, he'll tend to grab or he won't turn around like you mentioned, yeah. or he'll push or he'll grab it. He just doesn't quite trust it. He doesn't, he doesn't look himself in the mirror and see like a pro – I think if that guy, if we could ever instill confidence in that guy, yeah. he seems to have all the physical attributes and the speed and the quick. I mean, these these Denver Broncos, say what you want about the Broncos, and I think they're going to finish dead last in the AFC West. Oh, you do? I do. Okay. And I think we're going to have, I shouldn't say we, the Seahawks are going <laughs> to have their number one, their first round draft choice. Yep. But they've got good receivers. Yeah. This guy Sutton is a really good receiver. Jerry Judy's a really good receiver. Woolen's not going against chopped liver yeah. out there, and he's in position on all the occasions to make the play. So I'm, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic. Now I thought Troy Aikman, who I don't, I don't really like on the broadcast, but Troy Aikman made a very good point. He said the key with him is going to be he can't lose his confidence mm. over these penalties. Yeah, somebody's got to say to him what I'm saying to you, which is you're right there. Yep. You made every play. You just, okay, so you're not, it was your first NFL game. Yeah. And at the moment of truth, when it when it came down to when the ball came, you didn't turn around and you grabbed and whatever. You're right there. You've got everything we need. Yeah. You're everything we need. If we could get this guy thinking that he's Richard Sherman, he can be Richard Sherman. Yeah. He's just got to get that attitude going. Keep, keep. Needs a little bit of swagger. Get the swagger. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, he yeah. was in position. You're right. Yeah. I liked yeah. him too. Yeah. And by the way, Penny looked a little better to me than I gave him credit for last year. He looked a little thinner. He, he slowed oh, he down. Lost, well, he lost weight. Yeah, he, yeah. he looked. He looked he's a in little. The best, he's in the best condition of his, life, <laughs> of his career. Oh, God, I wish I could say that. Every 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 yeah, player yeah. says that. <laughs> I'm in right. the best condition of my career. <laughs> yeah. So it takes a big man to admit when I'm half wrong. Because he well, did look a little better than I thought he would. Twelve carries, sixty yards. Yeah. Most importantly, he didn't get hurt. True, yeah. Yet. You see Homer get blown up on his pass blocking. Oh. But Homer. Maron. Yeah. Oof, he's light. But Homer is such a, he's such a gutsy guy. Yeah. He makes plays on special teams. Oh, by the way, DJ, I thought special teams was pretty good. Pretty good. Overall, I thought your, your buddy Myers my, was My solid. buddy Michael Dixon could have given me two better punts. Yeah. We needed some punts that, that drew, that kind of pushed them back into the 10-yard line. Let me see what his numbers look like. Speaking of gutsy. Did you like two catch two punts, 101 yards? All right, so so he averaged 50 yards a catch. <laughs> but it seemed like, especially on the first one, he didn't he didn't get much of the first mm. one, and they got it at the 20 or 21 yard line. Yeah. But speaking of gutsy, I love that. Do you remember the the two back to back plays where Geno put his head down to try to pick up the first down, yeah. and he he got it on the second one? Yeah, that was nice to see. I like it. That's a football player. I like he it. He didn't run out of bounds. He didn't slide early, and then you know 
He put his head down. And you don't to even pay. have to pay $250 million for that. <laughs> That's exactly right. Now, he'll be out by, by week three if he keeps doing that, but it was nice to see. Like You could tell he was fired up. I, I, I appreciated that from Gino. Didn't seem like there was a lot of uh, love for Russell Wilson in the stands. Yeah, see, I know I'll talk to the uh, Seahawks no table and Brady Henderson, who was there covering it for ESPN, and he'll give us the definitive answer. I don't know that you can judge when the entire team comes running out and the boobers come out and he's leading the entire team out of the out of the tunnel because they do that anyway. Yeah, they're going to you always boo the opponents. Right. Um, but I didn't get a sense that uh, there was much uh, love in the air no. for number three. I, and I, you asked me on the last episode, and that's what I said I would have done. I would have booed like you crazy. Booed. You would have booed. Yeah, and I, I feel like a lot of – like when he, the, the very first huddle, like the very first offensive play for the Broncos, it was a lot of boos. It was pretty loud. So I don't know. Good, good for the Hawk fans. Sticking with it. Hi. Boo him. Want to know. I like it. First place. How long will we, How long can Seahawk fans say they'll be in first place for? Well, here, here's what I was gonna, I was actually going to lead off with this. I felt this way a week ago. I felt this way two weeks ago. I think I mentioned it to you on the show. And now I feel I feel more convinced of this than ever. Okay. I don't know whether the Seahawks are going to be any good this year. I tend to not. I tend to look at Monday night's performance and think not much of the Seahawks. But here's what I, I thought then and I think now. Okay. They were five and a half, their over-under. Five and a half was yeah. the over-under on wins in Vegas. A 50-50 bet or a minus 110 bet on over-under five and a half wins in 17 games. It's a team that plays Carolina at home, Atlanta at home, the Giants at home, the Jets at home. Okay? Yeah. I thought back then that it was a great bet to take the over, and now I'm obviously, you get one like this, there's just... You gotta be nuts. Yeah, we should have all bet the entire our mortgage on this. I was gonna say, show me your ticket. Are you t- are you telling me that you, that they're not gonna win six games? Yeah, all they gotta do is win six, go six and eleven. This team is yeah. not gonna win six games. They're totally gonna win six games. <laughs> is that where we are? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying they're gonna win exactly six, but they are going over five and a half. Yeah. They, I guess, uh, they are going over five and a half. They looked a lot better than I I expected. Kind of a shit show, but on it was Monday. kind of a shit show. Yeah, but Gino came out 13. Oh, he you know, looked he, great. In the he first looked game. good. In the first, yeah. You know, the, the defense kind of did what they had to do. It, 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 it wasn't a disaster, and they found a way to get the win. So I, I expected like a, a 31 to 17 or 31 10, just kind of a beating, uninspired right. Seahawks team. So right. good for them. You know how I said that they have to throw the ball deep every once in a while? Yeah. DK Metcalf caught seven balls on Monday night for 36 <sighs> yards. God. Seven catches for 36 yards. Yards. He averaged five yards a catch. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. Throw the ball down the field. That'd be nice. Yes. And you have the targets to okay. do it. So three, uh, three interviews and then we'll do the other stuff. Segment. I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you the CEO of Daniel's broiler and wing point member guest champion, Lindsay Schwartz. Should we tell everybody that it was like flight 26 or should we leave that part out well we should leave it out because it's not true it's also not true that i was the overall champion but we were champions of the fifth flight which i feel pretty good about and and you know you probably think you'd be in the first flight but i'm i'm guessing you'd be like in the third or fourth third or fourth flight only only one flight ahead of lindsey schwartz yeah (laughs) you guys just had a seattle version of the bourbon bash at the downtown location in the hyatt we haven't talked about the downtown location a lot. What's the progress over there since the pandemic? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, that was closed for several months. And uh, we opened the bar, just bar only about a year ago. And then a few months ago, we've opened the dining room. So now the bar and dining room are open seven nights a week. It's getting a little bit busier every week. We're really happy with the progress. As a matter of fact, I took the family to Hamilton a couple of oh. weeks ago. And uh, we parked at the Hyatt, had dinner at Daniel's, walked to the Paramount. It's like a block and a half away. The show's awesome, by the way. I know you're a, you're a big musical guy. Have I you am. seen Hamilton? I have not seen Hamilton. Oh. I've seen the TV version, but I've not been to a show of Hamilton. How many times have you seen it? You know, I've seen it a few. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, people are going to make fun of me. I have seen it, and I love it. And you definitely should do it, and you definitely should have dinner yeah, at Daniel's yeah. before. How about football season at Daniel's? I don't know that people kind of connect Daniels for football season, but there's some there's some opportunities at Les Shy before and after games and viewing opportunities at Bellevue. Tell us about football season at Daniels. Yeah, transitioning from musicals to football, <laughs> only on Mitch's podcast. Yes. Yeah, I mean, football, you know, Les Shy is open for lunch every day, including the weekends, and that's a great place to go before a game. I do it all the time before Seahawks games, and every once in a while I'll go to a Husky game. It's super conveniently located to both those stadiums, so great place to go for lunch. All three Seattle locations are convenient for dinner after a football game, and then I like watching games at Bellevue in Prime 21 up there. We've got the big screen TV and the couches, and it's a really fun place to watch a game. I got to tell you, Daniels Broiler has been an amazing partner since the radio days and now with Unfiltered since the beginning. When you think of football, maybe you don't quickly think of Daniels Broiler, but now you will. Daniels Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. From 64... McManus missed it. I was surprised that they took Russ out there at the end. You know, I, um, um, we, weren't, we weren't thinking field goal there. We thinking, you know, it was fourth down and they're still going. So we, um, you know, it gave us a chance to win the game on that play. So um, that was, we were fortunate there, fortunate to get to make the kick. It's Seahawks No Table Time brought to you by Taco Time Northwest, who joins us in celebrating everyone who loves doing some work. I'm not even going to get into my first experience with the Mexi fries in the burrito, Joe Fan. I don't know whether you've ever had the Mexi fries in the burrito or the soft taco, but I did it for the first time, and now I'm hooked. I just, Is that a secret menu that you've unlocked as a brand ambassador <laughs> for Taco Time, or is that something regular old schmucks like me and Brady can, can get Actually, in Actually, Brady's uh, partner at ESPN, Kevin Pelton, and ESPN.com basketball NBA writer told me, yeah, Mitch, order the Mexi fries, instruct them to put the Mexi fries in the burrito, in the soft taco. And I did it the other day. It was unbelievable. Anyway, anyway, I digress. Joe fan, win bet, Brady Henderson, ESPN.com and me, we're going to break it all down. Inexplicable would be the word that I would use to describe the Broncos coaching staff's decision to opt for the 64-yard field goal instead of giving Russell Wilson a chance on fourth and five. Do either one of you, we'll start with you, Joe, anybody want to play public defender and give some sort of explanation that maybe we're not aware of? I can't come up with one. You know, we're all staring at the TV or as Brady's there watching it. I think everyone's thinking the same thing. Call a timeout. Truly, they're going to call a timeout. Where's the sense of urgency? What are they doing? 
And then the field goal unit trots out and you just kind of come to the conclusion in your head of, Oh, this is what they wanted to do. I guess just doesn't make sense to me. You just trade for a quarterback and then give them 165 million guaranteed. And you're not going to go for it on fourth and short uh, and, and lean on your kicker at sea level, not at mile high, uh, no less to kick the second longest field goal in NFL history to win you the game. Um, It's pretty baffling. Yeah. And he was going into the open end of the stadium too. And not that this was, you know, a late season bad weather game at Lumen field, but that's still the tougher end of the stadium to kick into. And it still would have been a curious decision, even if they were going into the South end zone, as Joe said, 64 yards. That's a, that's a very long field goal for anybody, even a kicker with a very strong leg. Um, you know, not that fourth and short or fourth and five is any sort of a gimme by any stretch, but I still think you would take your chances on fourth and five, especially with a guy that uh, you just gave up a huge amount of draft capital to trade for paid him that big contract. I think the, the irony here, I don't know if it's ironic or what, but um, I think it's notable that that was the type of decision uh, that really ticked Russell Wilson off in Seattle. And and there was one, uh, there's a few that I can think of over the years of, um, you know, him being upset that Pete Carroll didn't put the ball in his hands uh, with the game on the line and it's instead trusted their kicker. And uh, that's what happened in this game. Yeah. Joe fourth and five, the Broncos averaged seven yards per play on the evening. They averaged eight yards, a pass attempt on the evening. Those were averages and they needed five yards on fourth down against an exhausted Seahawks defense that had been on the field the entire second half. It just makes no sense. Do you think Russell Wilson is pissed or is the relationship too new for him to be pissed? I'm sure he's irritated by it. And obviously he can't admit it and he won't, but of course he is. He's a competitor. He wants the ball in his hands. And I'm sure there was a little deja vu for, uh, for him. You know, he's probably upset about the Seahawks fans not giving him the warm and fuzzy reception. You know, he's a competitor. He wanted to win that game, not just in his first game for the Broncos, but at a stadium where, you know, he was now the enemy. And so I think it was a, a pretty good microcosm for an entire game of mishandling the clock. I mean, they were a mess coming out of the huddle on almost a play to play basis, a couple different uh, delay of game penalties. They had 12 penalties in all. Uh, was that what was 11 or 12? What was it? It was uh 12 penalties. 12. Yeah. 106 yards. And it was just, it was a sloppy performance, two goal line fumbles that just looked like a team with a new head coach that hadn't gelled yet. That wasn't really firing on all cylinders and that's on everybody. But, you know, certainly there were a couple moments where Russ had a little deer in the headlights type look in him. When you watch the TV broadcast where it didn't feel like he was in total command on that last drive. And the fact that he's walking up to the huddle and, you know, 30 plus seconds are, are, are running off the, the play clock and there's no timeout being called. And he shouldn't look like he was just standing around waiting to call timeout. It looked like he was getting the team to the line of scrimmage and kind of looking at what was out ahead of him. And yeah, I think it was all just a bit puzzling for me. Brady update us, if you will, to the best of your ability, Jamal Adams, what's the injury any guess as to the extent of the injury in the post game? It did not look good. Yeah. And it did not sound good afterwards, but you know, he went off the field, limped off in obvious pain, was taken into the blue medical tent and then was uh, escorted 
straight to an injury cart. I, I had my binoculars on Adams as he was being carted off and just looked dejected. He at one point sort of burst out in obvious frustration. Um, and then Pete Carroll said afterwards, he didn't give any sort of timeline, but, and, and he didn't really, he didn't say that it was a season ending injury, but it very much sounds like it could be. He called it a serious injury mentioning um, damage to the quadriceps tendon. I, I don't really know exactly what that means, but the bottom line is it did not look or sound good for Jamal Adams. Joe, when does this trade stop haunting the Seahawks and Seahawks fans? The second the dead cap space is off the books, if he's no longer with the team, I don't know. I mean, it's not going anywhere. Um, I feel bad for Jamal Adams. You know, I mean, he was all around the football early in in the game and, you know, had a chance at the interception, hit off of his face mask. But, um, you know, he was kind of in the mix on a play-to-play basis. And the one, the play where he got hurt, he was in the backfield putting pressure on Russell Wilson. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't really want to make jokes about the trade and it, it doesn't look good period. The extension doesn't look good. It has all been a huge mess for the Seahawks. Um, and it's just gotten so bad after that 10 and a half sack season in 2019, that being said, yeah, I don't know. I just feel bad for him. I, I, I really, I really do. Um, and I hate, you hate to see this, those shots of guys being carted off and looking dejected and less so the pain and more just the, the frustration, the realization of what it is. And this isn't just a, Hey, take a week or two. This might be a full season and his entire time in Seattle, even the 10 and a half sack season was partly marred by injury. And it's just gone downhill since. And the Seahawks and Adams as well, were really thinking that this could be a big bounce back season for him because, because the defense, the new defense that they have really puts him in position to make plays. And, you saw a little bit of that, as Joe mentioned, on the, uh, the near sack that he had of Wilson on the play that he actually got hurt. The really weird thing about this is that Adams was very durable over his first three seasons. He missed only two games over his first three seasons, and that was despite blitzing a whole lot, you know, getting involved with big offensive linemen, a lot of high-speed collisions. Um, he has missed seven – or excuse me, nine games over his first two seasons in Seattle – And that was on top of a lot of injuries that he played through, especially in that first season. A guy who was very durable at the start of his career has suddenly seen the injuries pile up at a pretty alarming rate. And this now appears to be another injury and a serious one at that. Much was made over what kind of reaction number three was going to get pregame. I made the comment to you, Brady, that we might not know entirely because he's going to run out with his team and you always boo the, uh, the opposing team as they run out of the tunnel. But uh, based on what I watched on TV, it certainly looked like a lot more negativity than love for Russell Wilson's return from the 12s. Yeah, and really every opportunity that they got, you know, when he ran onto the field about an hour before kickoff, you know, the stands were, I don't even think, half full by then. And the boos were still very audible uh, when he came onto the field then. And then, you know, going out for the pregame coin toss. Uh, taking the field for the first time for Denver's opening possession. Uh, And then just throughout the game, it was loud. It was relentless and it was a lot stronger than I anticipated. I mean, we all knew that there were going to be at least some people who booed. I I thought it would be maybe 50, 50, 60, 40, something like that. But it was, it was a lot stronger of a reaction than I had thought it would be. And whether that is people that don't know the full story of why he was traded or just don't want to accept the fact or don't care that it was 
uh, a mutual decision, very much a mutual decision. And the Seahawks had their reasons for trading Wilson. And by the way, tried to do it uh, a few years before they actually did it. Um, regardless of all that, people voiced their feelings about this and booing. And, you know, I really think that I don't know what effect Carol you know, Carol's comments had on that Remember last week, he was asked what type of ovation or, or what type of, he was asked how he thinks Seahawks fans should receive Wilson. And he didn't come right out and say that they should boo him, but he sort of alluded to that and said it without saying it. Well, I don't know what kind of impact that had and whether fans were going to do it, even if he hadn't said that. But uh, I do wonder if that ticked Wilson off and you saw them uh, there was really, there was no pregame exchange that I saw. You know, I was watching both those guys somewhat closely. I, I saw Wilson run over, run over to the Seahawks half of the field during warmups, had a dozen or so really warm exchanges with former teammates, former coaches. Um, and if he had one of those with Carroll, I did not see it. Well, and, ESPN, and did. ESPN reported that there was no exchange. They were on the field for a long time together and there was no exchange. Do you think it hurt? Number three, do, was there any evidence in the post-game remarks that he was bothered by it? You know, I only saw a, kind of a cut-up of some of the things he said, and as Joe pointed out on Twitter, he was as classy as ever, and, and there was no, at least in the clips that that they showed there, there was no sort of ill remarks or okay. no okay. no I, no sense of, of okay. ill feelings, but I, I do imagine that, that that bugged him. Joe, were you surprised? By the booze? By the magnitude of the boost. Yes and no. I thought it'd be a little bit more positive, but I think, I think again, the buildup, I just added to it. You know, the fact that it was week one, the fact that everyone's talking about it, Pete Carroll certainly threw fuel on the fire in his own way without deliberately saying it. So yeah, I think people were charged up and I guess, no, I'm really not surprised. And, mm. and it's such a unique mm. case. Russell Wilson is a unique person and athlete. And the saga with him and the Seahawks is so storied. And, and Brady did such a good job of documenting it all last week for ESPN.com. It was a tremendous feature. It's hard to say, hey, you know, I think everyone who wanted to cheer, great. Anyone who wished he got a better ovation, I get that too. But I just have a hard time for anyone who decided that he was the enemy tonight, that, you know, his day to bask in the, in the Seattle sunshine and, and get his praise as a, as a Pacific Northwest legend, you know, that's, that wasn't something that was going to happen on Monday night and that will come at a later date and having it be week one, right out of the gate, his first game, Seattle's first game without him, there was just no time for any of this uh, to diffuse. And so I guess I, I guess I can't say that I'm, I'm super surprised by it. Let's talk about the performance on the field. We'll start with you, Joe. My estimation is that the reality of the game that we watched on Monday in terms of the Seahawks performance, my opinion is that you give the Seahawks great credit for the defense on the goal line and those goal line stands, but you put that together with the penalties on the Broncos and really, that was the deciding part of the game. Because the truth is, if you look beyond the great goal line stand and beyond those penalties, the Broncos greatly outplayed the Seahawks. I thought it was a uh, kind of dominant performance, at least statistically, by the Broncos outside of what we mentioned. But of course, you give the Seahawks a lot of credit for what they were able to do on the goal line. 
and in those uh, red zone opportunities. Yeah, it was a game that had to go damn near exactly perfect for the Seahawks, and it did. They didn't score a single point in the second half, and they won the game. And they held the Broncos to just six points in the second half, despite the Broncos being on the goal line twice. And you give them credit for forcing the fumbles, but I think that's still Denver coughing it up. And you'd look at it more on on them shooting themselves in the foot as you would the Seahawks making a play. And so uh, I think it's definitely both. When things are on time and in rhythm, and Geno Smith showed he can make plays, and, and Shane Waldron called a fantastic first half, but the Broncos put the clamps down, and it was really hard to watch in the second half, I think this is exactly what you're going to see from the Seahawks this year. You're going to have games where you're saying, how on earth are the Seahawks ahead or down a score? Because it feels like they've been outplayed so egregiously. And yet here they are. And that's just going to be their recipe. And they just found a way to make it a win uh, on Monday with certainly plenty of help from the Broncos, you know, and the unforced errors and, and silly mistakes on their part. Brady, the Seahawks played unquestionably a great first half of offensive football. They were terrible on defense in the first half, but they played tremendously well, especially considering expectations offensively in the first half. And then Joe points out in the second half, I mean, zilch. They hardly got a first down on their own accord. Most of the first downs that they got in the second half were on defensive penalties by by the Broncos. Any explanation after the game? What went south for this offense in the second half? No, no real explanation, but, but pretty strong comment from Geno Smith just about how they need to play better. And, you know, I think part of that was, uh, yeah, there weren't a whole lot of opportunities. They had three actual possessions, not counting their, you know, end of game kneel down after the Broncos missed field goal, you know, six plays uh, on the first one, then Geno Smith uh, gets, you know, Charles Cross get, gets beat off the edge um, and Geno Smith gets sacked and, that was kind of a bad and a good play by Charles Cross. He gives up the sack, but then he's Johnny on the spot to catch the fumble in midair uh, and avoid an even worse outcome to that play. And then, you know, they go nine plays on their next drive and end up punting and then a three and out on the one after that. So not a whole lot of offense there, but also not a whole lot of opportunities either. Okay, we're at the end of the Seahawks no table. Of course, we'll have a special no table for the patrons as we do during the year. That releases on Friday. That's when we get our next picks. I will tell you that in the closest to the pin competition, both Joe Fan and Brady Henderson picked the Broncos. Yours truly picked the Seahawks 24 to 20. So um, yours truly has a one game lead or a, a one hole lead in the closest to the pin in the skins competition against Brady and Joe. We'll get our picks for the 49ers game. Uh, on the show that's released on Friday, Joe, you're chomping at the bit to say something with that little <laughs> with that little mustache that you got going. But go ahead. Is that a I, mustache, Joe? Heads? I don't know. Yeah, what that is. Is. It's, it's a little, little, little scruff. Little I can't something. really grow a good mustache. It's just a little scruff. It's nothing like what you got, Brady. I'm, I'm envious of the the glorious facial hair you got going. I think it's funny. Like, credit to you. You picked them. You had the stones to pick them. But when you made your pick, you said. I've got no reason why they should win. And that's sort of why I didn't pick them because I had this feeling just like you, what just feels like they're going to find a way. Like this is their Super Bowl. Weird stuff happens in Seattle, especially on prime time. They're going to find a way, but you couldn't, you, you couldn't say it's because of these reasons. And then you look at how the game played out and you don't have any like really good reason of why they won. 
because they got outplayed for all the reasons we just mentioned, but just somehow they did it. And so credit to you. I, I think it's funny how your analysis of for picking them that sort of didn't exist is sort of the same analysis that we have for how they won is they did some things very well. They largely got outplayed and that's how it happened. And it was weird. Yeah. It was a weird game, which brings us to who was doing some work. We can do Seahawks. We can do non Seahawks. Of course, it's brought to you by Taco Time and Taco Time Northwest, which brings you the Seahawks note table twice a week, every single week during the NFL season. And they celebrate those that love to do some work and are always looking for new team members. TacoTimeNW.com. Let's uh, allow Brady Henderson, the pick of the litter. You get the choice. You could have anybody in the game on Monday night or any other night. What would you like to do? I'm going to go somebody from this game, somebody who was a big part of Seattle's defensive effort, and that was Uchenna Nwosu. Had a very good Seahawks debut. Uh, Of course, he had the sack of Russell Wilson, had the forced fumble on one of those two goal line stands in the second half, Uh, a pass defense, two quarterback hits, seven tackles, which was uh, tied for the third most on the team. I've said this before, Uchenna Nwosu, when he signed that two-year, 19-and-change million-dollar deal, that was the uh, made him the highest-paid player, highest-paid free agent addition in terms of average per year that the Seahawks have made under John Schneider and Pete Carroll. And uh, it's obviously one game, so this is no time to be making definitive uh, assessments of how that deal looks. But um, that's a very good start for a guy who got paid quite a bit of money, at least by Seattle standards. And you might think I'm being gracious as the host, to let Joe Fan and Brady Henderson go first and second. Hate to blow my cover, but I just have no concern that either one of you are going to take my who's doing work brought to you by Taco Time. So that's why I'm kind of being nice to let Joe Fan and his mustache go next. Go ahead, Joe. Well, that means you must you must be going off the board of Monday Night Football. Is that correct? No, I'm not. You're not? No. Well, there's, there's like several guys who, who deserve some love. You know, certainly I'm happy for Geno Smith to finally get his shot to be a starting quarterback after abiding his time for eight years. He was a great backup to Russell Wilson, but he earned the job. And so happy for him. Happy he got to experience the, the Geno chance that rained down on him as – you know, throughout the game, but as he left the field as well to go into the Seahawks tunnel after the win. Uh, but my pick for this is uh, Cody Barton. Ten combined tackles, eight tackles, two assists, one sack, and one monster stop on that final drive on a reception for Javante Williams where there's green grass in front of Javante and Cody Barton absolutely sticks him. And there are a lot of question marks about Cody Barton uh, in a draft class that has been loaded with question marks outside of DK Metcalf. But Barton was absolutely tremendous on Monday night and stepped up big uh, alongside Jordan Brooks, who led the team in tackles with 12. But uh, big ups for Cody Barton, who throughout the entire game uh, was doing some work for the Seahawks defense. Okay. Geno Smith had 119.5 passer rating compared to Russell Wilson, who I think is one of the all-time leaders, by the way, in that category, 101.3. So Geno Smith statistically better than the guy that he backed up in the big game. You give Geno Smith a lot of credit, as Joe did. I thought the offensive line, for the most part, played a good football game. They were doing some work. I could I could see myself handing the Taco Time Award Northwest to the offensive line. Jordan Brooks had 12 tackles. I thought Michael Jackson came up and made some nice plays on defense. But I'm not going anywhere near any of those guys because I think – 
one of the big reasons that they won the game on Monday night was the 12th man. Mm. I sat in my uh, in my family room listening to the TV, and maybe I was wrong, and Brady, you can tell me to rescind my doing some work, but it really felt to me like they were a huge part that the 12th man in that stadium was loud from beginning to end and played a big role in the Seahawks victory. It really came through on the TV, at least my TV. Am I correct to say that that was one of the louder ones than you've heard in the last several years? Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah, there is no doubt. And and not just when Russell Wilson was being booed, but in other moments of that game, I, I, there's probably three or four times there where uh, you could feel the press box shaking, unmistakably shaking. And so, yeah, I mean, Denver had, what, two or three false start penalties. So, yeah, the, the crowd was definitely a huge factor in this game. Joey in the mustache, admit it, you would have liked to have done it. Mitchie, the kid's going with the 12th man who was doing some, some work. work. And and now and you're sitting there with the mustache, as handsome as you are, saying, "Why didn't I think of that? That's a good one." You'd like no, to. No, I wanted you. to leave them for you. Mitch. I, I didn't want to steal your thunder. It's a good pick. It, it was. It came through on my TV's watch. Oh. I had a number of of tweets about it uh, in my timeline. Um, it's fun to see. You know, we all went so long without full throat atmospheres, and uh, and that certainly CenturyLink Field or Lumen Field on a primetime game is as good as it gets in all of sports and. Uh, yeah, certainly showed out. I mean, like I mentioned before, the Broncos had issues getting the play call in on seemingly every single play. And it wasn't just the delay games. There were a handful more that were right up against it as well. So, yeah, the crowd gets a ton of credit. And, and DK Metcalf and and Pete Carroll and others mentioned it postgame as well. So, yeah, uh, a taco time award well earned for the 12. It's crazy to think that two years ago there was the Seahawks played games in this stadium with no fans. When you said that, I just thought back and almost forgot that that was a thing. As loud as it was tonight, it's just, it's uh, really weird to think that they've played games here without people in the stands. I'll never forget Russell Wilson on Sunday Night Football, the home opener, threw a pick six on the first drive of the, of the home season. And it felt like it was a scrimmage because it's just quiet. And yeah, good call. Well, I'll mention as we uh, conclude, brought to you by Taco Time Northwest, the Seahawks no table, and remind you that for patrons, Patrons only will have a Friday show that previews the Niners game. I do want to point out that not only are you guys O and 1 to start your closest to the pin 2022 campaign, but you both get marks off for using the word tonight. Brady oh. used it once. Joe Fan, you used it once. Did so, I? I yeah. wouldn't. I said Monday. No, you said I didn't, I didn't play in the preseason, so I'm a little <laughs> just, rusty. Just before you said Monday, you said tonight. I just want to point that out. For, 10 lashings. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys uh, for the Friday edition. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mitch. All right. Thank you. And here she is, senior financial planner for Evergreen Golf Call, Katie Versio. How's everyone doing over there at Evergreen? Things getting a little better in the investing world, Katie? <laughs> you know, we're, we're hanging in there. It's been a pretty bumpy ride, though, Mitch. Yeah. It's been an interesting summer, to say the least. Yes. Katie has three stump the band questions from the financial world, and I am ready. Is there a topic this time around? Yes. So we're doing a market update. It's been a very volatile ride across all financial markets this year. So I'm going to kind of quiz you on topics I've asked you about earlier this year, just okay. to see how things have changed. Okay. Question number one. I'm ready. I've asked you several times this year, we've discussed U.S. consumer inflation. It's been really high this year. In May, the inflation increase was 8.6% year over year. And in June, it was 9.1%. 
What was that figure in July? Was it an 8% change, 8.5 or 9%? Just a stab, I'll go B8.5%, Katie. That's right. Yes. So while still very elevated at eight and a half percent, that's a very high rate. The figures came in lower than expected. And so that really boosted the market here in the last few weeks. So inflation is coming down a little bit, which means I can do no worse than 333, which is a great batting average on the Mariners. Go ahead. Question number two, Katie. Okay, so in April, I asked you about interest rates that you could earn on a six month CD. In April of 2021, you could earn 0.17% interest on a six month CD. And in April of 2022, you could get 0.2% interest. So even though at that time, the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates, it was not impacting savings rates for individuals. So today, what could you earn on a six month CD? Is it 0.3%, 0.6% or 0.9%? I'll go 0.9%, Katie. That's right. Yes, yes. Now that the Fed has raised interest rates several times, it's starting to trickle down where investors can earn a little bit more on some of these types of investments. So the Fed raised 0.75% in July, and they're being a little bit more aggressive trying to rein that inflation in. Well, I'm not sure in all the years that we're doing this, Katie, that I've ever gone three for three. I don't know what I'm going to do if I go three for three on this one, but I'm ready to give it a try. What's question number three? Okay, so I'm giving you an easy one with oh, the last one. Oh. It's a true or false question. True or false, both stocks and bonds are down this year. Absolutely true, because I know that when stocks are up, bonds are down and vice versa, but that's not the case this time around. That's right. You got that right. The S&P 500 is down about 17% this year, and bonds are down about 12%. This year, because of what the Federal Reserve is doing with raising interest rate, it has been negatively impacting the price of bonds. Just a very volatile time, and we at Evergreen have been very active in managing our portfolios and trimming when the markets are going up and buying when things are going down, and we think that volatility is here to stay for at least the short term and that it makes sense to, to be actively managing a portfolio. Well, I hope our audience understands that I'm going to keep this one up on the uh, on the podcast for the next two <laughs> or three years because I just I just went three for three. Before you finish, Katie Versio, you have a, a little survey that you guys are doing on the website. Yes. If you go to evergreengk.com, you can access our client compatibility survey where you can learn more about us. And if you're interested in our management style and if we could be a good fit, you can take our client compatibility survey. Talk about a great fit. Evergreen Golf Call has been just a terrific partner and sponsor of Mitch Unfiltered since the beginning. Where would we be without them? Evergreen Golf Call. Everything wealth. Unfiltered. It's brought to you by Taco Time Northwest, who joins us in celebrating everyone who loves to do some work. And you know who was doing some work last week? Rick Neuheisel, CBS College football analyst. He was doing work. He had Kansas State. He told us minus seven, the Wildcats over Missouri. Four touchdown 
victory. We never even had to sweat at New Heisel. No sweat. <laughs> even with the, even with the weather delay, you didn't have to sweat. Much. Oh, it's nice to see New Heisel at 500. I know that 500 is not the standard for a lot of college football <laughs> coaches, but it's nice to see New Heisel reach back and get to 500. Let's not be under 500 the rest of the year. What do you say about that? I am all for it. I am all for it. Yes. Chris Kleiman's got a nice thing going there at Kansas State. Deuce Vaughn is a player everybody should know about, that little running back. And uh, Adrian Martinez getting a a do-over, if you will. Another of the transfer quarterbacks uh, taking advantage of the situation. Where do we begin with our weekly chat with Rick Neuheisel? We can start with dogs and Michigan State. Washington has a chance to get back to some sort of relevance in college football with a win over Michigan. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a trivia. Let's start with a trivia question, Rick Neuheisel. Okay. I'm going to assume that the information I have is accurate. When was the last time the Michigan State Spartans won a game west of the Rocky Mountains? Do you have any idea, any memory of Michigan State winning a football game west of the Rocky Mountains? Goodness gracious. Uh, They lost in the Rose Bowl to Stanford. When did they win a football game west of the Rockies? Did they go to Oregon and beat uh, the Ducks? What year were you born, Rick Neuheisel? 1961. Well, four years preceding you, according to the the information. (laughs) The last time, according to what I've seen, that Michigan State actually won a game west of the Rockies, 1957 19 to nothing against Cal in Berkeley. There's no record of them winning a game west of the Rockies since, and they try to do it this Saturday afternoon right here at Husky Stadium on the lake. It's going to be a whale of a game. Mel Tucker has built a team almost overnight, uh, and that's what's possible now given the transfer portal. He went and got uh, Kenneth Walker the third from Wake Forest a year ago, and the guy was electric as a running back. He now is playing for your beloved Seahawks. But uh, the bottom line is this is – Big stuff for Mel Tucker to bring a team west. A big challenge. Peyton Thorne is their quarterback, probably an unheralded quarterback, but I think pretty good. Uh, and they're off to a good start. Have not really been tested. Same probably could be said about uh, the Huskies in terms of their schedule. But Michael Penix is doing some work, yeah. as you would like to say. Yeah. And and let me say this. The fact that they've scored 45 and 52, I don't care who it's against, is a huge sign of good things to come given the fact that uh, they struggled so mightily offensively a year ago. If somehow they were to win this game, and I've seen they've actually opened a favorite over the 11th-ranked Michigan State Spartans, if if Washington were to win this game and get off to a 3-0 start and have that that victory in Kalen DeBoer's pocket, what does that mean tangibly to the program? I I said uh, a few moments ago, they'd be relevant again. They'd be in the conversation. People would be talking about Washington football again. That's exactly right. Kalen DeBoer would get all sorts of accolades for the job that he's done. He's one of 13 coaches who've won a national championship. Now, it wasn't at the FBS level, but he certainly has won one before. Mm -hmm. The guy can coach. He took uh, Jake Hayner, a former Husky quarterback at Fresno State last year, went down to the Rose Bowl and beat UCLA after UCLA had beaten uh, LSU. 
So this is a guy that can coach. The offensive thing is clicking. We know how well they've recruited for years defensively there. So putting the two together to beat a nationally prominent team like Michigan State puts them back in the conversation, and that's what Husky fans have been clamoring for. There's a section of our listeners that are saying, hold on, Mitch. Hold on, Mitch. What about the Cougs? Washington State Went fair on is the, fair, Mitch. Went on fair the road. Is fair. <laughs> How often does a Pac-12 team these days go on the road to the Big Ten and knock off a ranked opponent like the Cougs did, New Heisel, in Madison, Wisconsin this past weekend? Had I told you that Washington State would score 17 points in Camp Randall, we would have just been wondering, will they get be able to get off the mat? They would have been bludgeoned, right? Yep. Given the mighty Badgers and Camp Randall Stadium. We would have thought it was a death march. It was not. That defense deserves unbelievable uh, accolades. Offensively, I think Cam Ward's getting better. But defensively, and for Jake Dicker to win in his home state with all the family members, I had a similar experience. My mom and dad both went to Wisconsin, Mitch. Oh, I didn't. And my first game as a collegiate coach was in Camp Randall against Barry Alvarez and the Badgers, and they were like a three- or four-point favorite over us. Uh, this was back in 1995. And Dick Vermeil and Brent Musburger were on the call. My mother and father literally took them for a tour of the campus before the game. Really? My mom said, hey, there's Madison General. That's where Ricky was born. She calls me Ricky, right? <laughs> and my dad pointed at a Cadillac going by and said, and that's where he was conceived, you know, and she hits him. And for Jake Dickert to win that game in front of family and friends reminds me of Dick and Jane having that similar experience mm-hmm. watching their mm-hmm. kid coach a game that's back in, uh, in, in Madison. So congratulations to the Cougs. That's a Huge win, especially, you know, after kind of getting through the muck, if you will, by beating Idaho the week before. This is a monster win, and and uh, everybody uh, in the Palouse ought to be excited. By the way, just for the record, for our listeners that need to know, Rick Neuheisel's parents are, the, are not the only ones that call Rick Ricky. I think Jim Harbaugh called Jimmy you. Harbaugh. <laughs> what do you think about that, Ricky? And by the way, as we're talking Jimmy Harbaugh, he's got himself a quarterback. I know the competition has not been much, but finally J.J. McCarthy is uh, going to get his chance, and they'll have another big weekend this week against Connecticut. But uh, that guy, thus far on the season, 15 of 16 as a passer. Mm. 15 of 16. My next question for you on this this week with Rick Neuheisel is, how do we all find an opportunity – where we get paid $15 million not, oh. not to coach, not to do our job. Can you lead me to the promised land? Lead all of our listeners. Where do we find the chance to get paid $15 million not to do something as Scott Frost is now going to be paid not to coach Nebraska? Well, remember Eddie Ogeron a year ago got 17.1 <laughs> to, to walk out. He said, what door do you want me to walk out? And what time do you want me to be there? It's the honorable thing to do. It's not necessarily the um, corporate thing to do, but it's the honorable thing to do to pay Scott Frost his money. Here's what you have to remember about Scott Frost. He got that job after only two seasons on the job as a head coach, which means he didn't recruit that UCF team. He kind of inherited it, Mm -hmm. and he had kind of a – a new system. He took that Chim Kelly, you know, warp speed system and had it going. He did see Mackenzie Melton as a freshman in the Oregon camp and took him with him. So that all played into it. But talent accumulation has been lacking in Nebraska. 
They just haven't had the speed, and you saw that on display in their loss to Georgia Southern. So it's a merciful ending. He'll still be revered as, you know, a top guy that played there at Nebraska. His mother was a track coach. Uh, it just didn't work out. Now Tre- Trev Alberts has the uh, job of finding out who can mm-hmm. bring talent back mm-hmm. to uh, that great stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska, where now they have had 384 consecutive sellouts. Wow. I may have, as they say in the business, Rick Neuheisel buried the lead because Texas and oh. Alabama – played a much more competitive game than a lot of us, including myself, I'll raise my hand, would have expected. It was a football game that had a little of everything, a little controversy, a little excellence, a little, some mistakes were made. It was uh, it was something, and I, I, I'd like to know, I've asked you this each week, what did Rick Neuheisel learn from Texas and Alabama, would you say? The number one takeaway is that Texas has no business sliding back into the way they've played in the past. They have set a new standard for themselves, particularly defensively. Mm -hmm. That was outstanding football. Pete Kwiatkowski, who's familiar to the Husky fans, is the defensive coordinator there. He's been a Chris Peterson guy his whole life. He's the defensive coordinator. Gary Patterson is also on that staff as an analyst. I'm sure he's got some influence, but the way they flew around and matched athlete for athlete was absolutely eye-opening and they have no one to blame but themselves should they allow themselves to go back and get run over and have a coach create a tirade on a bus questioning their character or their effort that should never happen again at texas they've proven it to themselves aside from that quinn ewers it was darn good now he's still young and he's going to make mistakes, but there's some raw talent there that was on display. He's out for four to six weeks. We'll wait and see how, you know, how quickly he can get back, but that's a good sign. But would they have won the game with him? Uh, I still think Alabama would have found a way okay. to win the game. Okay. I, I really do. Okay. Uh, just because I think Bryce Young is so head and shoulders beyond anybody I've seen in terms of just maintaining a calm demeanor sleepy in the midst of a storm sleepy five nine guy i was on the sideline at the pit west virginia game and there was kyler murray on the sideline just taking in the game he's five nine he's kyler murray but special special athlete and and i had said maybe too short for the nfl no longer believe it he just has a way to make plays, so I'm looking forward to him at the next level. His day on Saturday was modest numbers-wise. Right. But two things stand out. The obvious is how when they needed him most, he brought him down the field, not not in a tie game. And there's a big big difference when he's bringing him down the field in a tie game. He's bringing him down the field when they're behind for the game-winning field goal. And then the other thing I would say to you is that one play – where he's flushed out of the pocket and he's going to his left and he's got two defenders and somehow he sees a guy in the end zone. He gathers himself enough to make that throw for a touchdown. You know the play I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, how many, the touchdown how, pass to Jameer Gibbs. How many, how many quarterbacks, forget this year, how many quarterbacks do we even come across in college football that can have the sight, the vision, and then the wherewithal to be able to get set and get that ball on a line to that receiver in the end zone. That was amazing. Really amazing. He's got eyes in the back of his head, kind of sees where every – and when he's out there on the on the run, you can see him. He's like in second gear. I mean, he's just kind of cruising. 
set, waiting to see where he can land so he doesn't take a big hit. He is a unique, unique college football player and one that's really fun to watch. The controversy that you talked about was that play in the end zone yes. where it looked like, you know, inexplicably they called uh, roughing the passer and targeting, which neither happened. Mm -hmm. What m should have happened, and I made the comment on CBS on Saturday, that because he, he wasn't down, but he tried to throw it away, it could have been intentional grounding. When you're in the end zone, it's a safety. Correct. But as you look at it from a wider angle than the camera angle that we had, there was a running back. He wasn't looking for the ball, but there was somebody in the area. To his so left. It's, yes. So it's it's pro it's probable that they got it right. And despite all the controversy, they got it right. So uh, the, 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 the tough pill for Texas fans is obviously the injury and then the missed kick there at the end of the first half. To not, you might have wanted to move that ball to the center of the field. Uh, on that final play to just give him a little bit better angle, but that's uh, spilt milk. Before we do some work and, and recognize the guys that were doing work, teams, players, coaches from last week presented by Taco Time, and we get Rick's picks, which is now red hot, one in a red row. Hot. One in a row. Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley, I think they deserve a mention on Mitch Unfiltered this week because something special could be brewing right out of the gate at USC. There is no question they are as advertised, at least at this point in the season. Uh, Caleb Williams is a special athlete. He's been now in the Lincoln Riley offense for a second year. He's certainly acclimating beautifully on display there with a couple of really, really hot shot receivers that came along with him. One, Mario Williams from uh, Oklahoma. The other, Jordan Addison, the Blitnikoff Award winner from Pitt. Yeah. Those two guys are special guys. They're both Sunday players. They're both Sunday players, probably slot receivers in the NFL, but really, really good players. And when you have a running game, which Caleb Williams forces the running game on you because his legs are part of the equation. When you only can play them with one safety, as long as you take somebody through the center, you can get one-on-one -on -one throws to either one of those guys down the field as often as you want. And if Caleb Williams can, remains accurate down the field, it is going to be difficult to beat the Trojans without outscoring the Trojans. Now, the fact that Stanford Tanner McKee scored 28, even though some of them were late, does give hope to future teams and opponents of the of the Trojans that you can score against them, but it's you're going to probably have to beat them in a track meet. USC versus Utah on a neutral field tomorrow. Who you got? I like Utah still, just because I think Utah is more dimensional offensively, and I do believe in Cam Rising. I don't think they're as explosive, obviously, but they can probably play a little bit of defense with their offense by playing ball, ball control. That Tavian Thomas, the running back, is off to a great start. Did you see any of the highlights from that seven-overtime game between Eastern Kentucky and Bowling Green? I saw a little bit Did of it. Did you see uh, a, hook, I, a hook and ladder to an offensive lineman? The worst two-point play call <laughs> in the history of the world. Yeah, that's that's why we should get rid of this new rule of overtime. Now, I understand let's not let kids be out there forever, but let's just make the kicker and the extra point no longer a part of it. You just start with two-point conversions. We won't get to seven if you have to score a touchdown and a two-point conversion. But two-point plays, usually there's a little spot on that Denny's menu of a play caller. There's a spot down there for two-point plays, and there's maybe three of them. When you get to seven, eight, nine, that's hard. Ask James Franklin from Penn State who lost to nine overtimes last year to Illinois. A design lateral 
to an to offensive a, line. You know, my, had it scored, it would have been your okay, favorite play, and we would be talking about that coordinator doing some real work. All I could tell you is, may he rest <laughs> in peace. Don Shula was turning over in his grave, <laughs> as was Don Strzok, Duriel Harris, and Tony Nathan. The greatest hook and is it la- hook and ladder or hook and lateral? I don't even know how you call it. Is it hook and it, ladder? It's, it's a hook and ladder, but but the hook and lateral is the right term. Yes. The greatest hook and lateral that was Tony ever. Nathan. San in Diego the, Chargers it, it, in the play. In, I, in the I, game I, where Kellen Winslow was yes. parted off the field oh 14 God. times. Yes. Now that's a hook and ladder. Come on. <laughs> that's a hook and ladder. Not tossing it to an offensive lineman for goodness sakes. <laughs> All right. And the other thing that I think I saw, did an Army quarterback throw for 359 yards in a game this year? Did I see that? Army threw for 221 in the first half. <laughs> And they had not thrown for 200 yards in a game since 2007. <laughs> and they did it at halftime. Oh. But give uh, Jeff Trailer and the Roadrunners of UTSA, who traveled to Austin this week, might be an upset special. Ooh, ooh, uh, ooh. As they travel to Austin, this, give them uh, credit for finding a way to win that game in overtime. Okay. Second week in a row, the Roadrunners have been in overtime. All right, we got to get to who was doing some work and then your picks. And I think the best way to do this is I'm going to give you some nominees and you can either choose one of mine or as the match game used to say, Gene Rayburn, or you can choose one of your own if you'd like. Here's I like the, it. I, I think the mighty Harvard of Central New York needs a mention. They go to Jamora, UConn, and Syracuse. Put, be careful flying under the radar. radar. They've got Purdue this week. Purdue, now. big game, <laughs> big game. I'm I'm proud of you for knowing exactly that the Boilers are bringing that big drum to, to upstate New York. Now, some might say Syracuse was doing some work. Some might say a great former Syracuse wide receiver's son, Marvin Harrison Jr., Three touchdowns. He was doing some work. Clay Helton, former USC coach at Georgia Southern, was doing some work. His quarterback, Kyle Van Treese, has been there six years or has been playing college football. Buffalo transfer. Six years. He's 46 years old. He was doing some work. (laughs) You sure it's not Kyle Van Winkle? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then my favorite, gosh, the Sunbelt Conference. There you go. Now you've landed. On the Marshall the, the, at Notre Dame, Appalachian State at Texas A&M, Georgia Southern at Nebraska. The Sun Belt was doing some work, Rick Neuheisel. They not only did some work, they all took home seven-figure checks for going on the road to do that work. That's really doing some work. <laughs> I'll take your 1.5, Mr. <laughs> College Station. Yeah, And now I'll also take a victory home. <laughs> Sean Clark, the uh, App State. And by the way, game day is on their way to Boone, North Carolina this week. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, what a huge weekend for, uh, for those boys. And think of this, Mitch. They just lost a game 63-61 to North Carolina. They go into College Station and get held to 17. It's like we just talked about with Washington State. No way they can beat Texas A&M with 17, and yet they held the Aggies to 38 plays. And Texas A&M had 38 plays, less than 100 yards rushing and less than 100 yards passing. Unforgivable for uh, Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies. And obviously the Notre Dame win, Marshall, a new uh, newcomer now to the uh, Sun Belt, first year in there. Their coach is a guy by the name of Charles Huff. He had been the running back coach for Alabama 
oh. and had a number, the running back that had over 160 yards. I think it's the first time Notre Dame has given up 160 yards plus to a running back since 2007. Uh, that running back was at Florida State last year. So they they have 24 transfers. They did a nice job going in there and being unaffected by the scene and the whole deal. And then obviously Clay Helton going in almost a year to the day from when he got whacked at uh, SC, he uh, ends up delivering the death knell to the Scott Frost era in Lincoln. So you choose the Sun Belt. The Sun Belt was doing the Sun Belt did some work. Yeah. And let me just say this. Keith Gill is the commissioner, but I go back to Carl Benson, who went and tried to lasso some teams when people were leaving the Sun Belt. They were the 10th of the 10 FBS conferences. And he said he put on some Ray-Ban sunglasses and said, our future's so bright. We need sunglasses. (laughs) And lo and behold, if the Sun Belt and little towns like Statesboro, Georgia, and Conway, South Carolina, and Boone, North Carolina aren't uh, going crazy. Don't forget Old Dominion beat Virginia Tech in the opening weekend. This is is a heck of a conference. Really fun to watch. Incredible stuff. Uh, Taco Time, always looking for new people to do some work. If you're interested in joining the Taco Time Northwest team, very easy to do so. Go to their website, tacotimenw.com. Great perks, great compensation packages. Taco Time, always looking for new team members to do some work. Okay. Week one wasn't so good. <laughs> Ohio State did oh, not cover Oh, it was cover fine. Them. We no. were a couple of points short. <laughs> we got we got Jackson Smith and Jigba hurt. I mean, you can jump no, off no, the bandwagon no, 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 no. if you want to. When, but, when, uh, when, just... when Knuckles and Vito come and collect their money, they don't they care. Collect it. They, they don't collect care it. how short you were. You could be a two point short. You yeah. could be a hundred points. But then you turned around and you told us the mighty Kansas State Wildcats were going to take care of Missouri. They were laying seven. They won by four touchdowns, which means. New Heisel is on a roll, one in a row. Let's go. Where are we headed? Are we calling this week three? I guess we'll call it week three week in college three. football. We need a winner. We are going to go to uh, Louisville. Louisville is Ooh. hosting Florida State this week. Really? Uh, Louisville lost in the opening weekend handily to your beloved Syracuse Orange. Right. But. Did some work this last Friday night in a game where I didn't think they had much of a chance. Malik Cunningham and company find a way to beat UCF. Right. John Rice Plumley struggled mightily throwing the football. But as I watched the game, Louisville is suspect. I like Florida State on the road, having just gotten past LSU in that game in New Orleans. I like Florida State to find a way. They've had a couple of guys they lost on the offensive line, but Jordan Travis, their quarterback's good enough. They've got uh, enough skill around, and defensively, they played with enough energy. I'm taking the Seminoles on the road. I think they're laying two points. Yes, that's right. That's right. Florida State is laying two points, and we should point out for our listeners, that's a Friday night game. That Friday is not night a, game. That's a Friday yes. night game on ESPN, so Rick Neuheisel is on the record now. He's got Florida State and the Seminoles Uh, laying two points on the road at Louisville. All right, I'm going to ask you this question probably 20 times. I'll end with this. Who wins on a neutral field tomorrow, Alabama or Georgia? Georgia. Georgia, I I think we need to stop using the term defense and just call it G-fence. That team is phenomenal in terms of how they surround the ball. They shut out. I know it was Samford, but recall that Samford, 
scored 50 plus points against Florida last year in the swamp. This is this is a really, really talented defense that knows how to play. And offensively, they can kind of pick their pick their number. Uh, Stetson Bennett's playing with great confidence. They've got skill outside now. I like and, and their tight end package is incredible. So they can maul you with a bunch of extra big bodies and still throw the ball with the kid like Brock Bowers down the field. I like Georgia to beat South Carolina handily. Mm. And Bennett's part of the Heisman conversation. Yeah, I don't think he has the same stuff as some of the other flamboyant players. He's going to be more traditional, so probably not. He'll be a sentimental choice, but I don't think a real choice. I think that Bryce Young, you might be calling him twice young. How about that? (laughs) All right, that's it. Uh, We'll talk after weekend number three in college football. You have a good week, and we'll talk to you on Mitch Unfiltered. I'm going to go do some work, Mitch. Hey, look who's back. Look who's back. Jordan Flowers, cross-country mortgage. You hear what I did there? Cross-country mortgage in Kirkland, weathering the interest rate storm to continually provide his clients cost-cutting opportunities. How are you, Jay Flo? Doing great. We're back in the swing of things with school starting, kids' activities. It's a fun time. What's new over there? What are you working on these days? You know, we are staying incredibly busy really right now. It's just educational information for agents and buyers. We're helping agents with their listings, trying to help them see win-win scenarios for their sellers and buyers, trying to keep sales prices up for those sellers to get all the equity they can in the home, but also help buyers see the monthly payment that they can of had slated in their head. So putting together different payment options and programs for them there. And then holding a lot of homebuyer seminars, homebuyer classes. So if anybody listening is interested in just coming to an informational homebuying seminar and what's available to you and what to be looking for when buying a home, then email me and we'll get you on the next slated homebuying class. Okay. I'll ask you for your email at the end. Because borrowing money has become hopefully temporarily expensive, We've seen a little slowdown in home values, but not as much as you would think. Why do you think that is, Jordan? Yeah, we've not seen much of a dip here. And you might read in the newspapers that a huge crash is coming. We don't really see that happening and playing out in this market. I think we have a very strong economy in general in this Seattle market. We've always been protected, even in the worst times. The last time we went through this in 08, 09, but really prices have leveled out. We're not depreciating we're just not appreciating as quickly so i would say still it's a great time to list you might not be getting a million dollars over list like we were at the beginning of the year but we're still gaining value and overall in king county it's maybe two three percent right now but pure snohomish we're still looking great you and your team of course kind of famously made the career shift from the former company let's call it to cross country. What does that change mean to your clients, Jordan? Yeah, the the switch was really an opportunity for us to have more programs and products available to a larger audience base that we work with, self-employed borrowers, unique income scenario borrowers, investment property buyers, and just a more direct line to underwriting for us to make more make sense decisions on the clients that we have, as well as a much larger product offering for jumbo buyers. So opened up the product mix for us. If you want to take a class or you want to learn a little bit more about home buying, what's the, uh, you always give us your phone number. What's the email for Jordan Flowers? Yeah, my email is Jordan, J O R D A N, period, flowers, F L O W E R S, at myccmortgage.com. Jordan.flowers 
at myccmortgage.com. We love Jordan Flowers. We love Cross Country Mortgage, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. And a baseball card of the New York Yankees player sold for $12.6 million yesterday. That is the highest price on a record for a piece of sports memorabilia. The 1952 card, which was issued by collectible company Topps, is one of the very few left in existence and in good condition of arguably the most powerful switch hitter in baseball history. Our next segment is the unique and interesting story of the most valuable baseball card in history and to be more specific i believe the most valuable piece of sports memorabilia in history a 1952 mickey mantle rookie card produced by tops sold a couple of weeks back for 12.6 million dollars and mr anthony giordano gracious enough with his time to tell us i guess a bittersweet story bittersweet of buying owning and then selling the rarest of commodities. Is bittersweet the right adjective, Anthony? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was probably the next hardest decision I had to make uh, other than selling my company 20-some-odd years ago. Mm. Well, I appreciate you jumping on with us and being willing to tell the story one more time. Start from the beginning. You grew up a Yankees fan. When did card collecting become your interest? Give us a, a profile of Anthony, if you don't mind. Oh, geez, you want to go that far back? <laughs> oh, okay. So, it goes back uh, probably to the 19, I want to say 1956, when at that time I was uh, 10 years old. And back then we used to purchase baseball cards and trade them. And the ones that we had duplicates of or, you know, they weren't popular players, we would kind of fold them and, get clothespins and put them on the uh, spokes of our bicycles. So that's when I really started collecting. And then as, you know, as I got older and, and like most other parents, my mom threw my uh, card collection away and <laughs> I didn't, I, I probably didn't see another baseball card until we had uh, twin sons born. And I guess it, when they got around 12, 13 years old, they started to collect and, one of my sons said, hey, Dan, you want, you want to go to a baseball card show? And I said, sure. So we started to go to shows, and I started to do a little bit of collecting. Uh, my first, actually, my first item uh, of my collection was a um, Coca-Cola cap that my son Anthony had given me for, for Christmas. Mm. And that, that's what started it. So we started to go to shows, and I started to put a collection of you know, memorabilia, mostly cards back in the in the uh, mid-'80s. Mm. Got a lot of nice cards. We met uh, Mickey Mantle for the first time, which to me was just something I never thought I would, I would experience because, you know, growing up as a young boy, I'll never forget my first time I've, I ever went to Yankee Stadium. I was a paper boy for a newspaper back then called the Newark Evening News. They had a contest for the paper boy that delivered the most papers, and there were six, six of us that won the contest and they brought us over to the Yankee game and it was like unbelievable. So that that's kind of when I started with my awe about Mickey Mantle. All of us had mothers who threw away baseball cards. I guess it's a good thing for all you collectors that all those mothers did throw away baseball cards. Yeah. Do, do you wonder, Anthony, uh, did you spend years wondering if you had some valuable cards in your original collections of 1956 and 57 that your mom threw yeah. away? I actually did. I actually did. And besides the baseball cards, you know, 
a lot of us back then used to collect comics and coming from a family where my grandfather, you know, when he came over from the, the other countries was in the junk business. I could remember just throwing away or, or, you know, recycling back in the, in this, in the sixties and seventies, all these Superman comics and these comics today that are worth thousands of dollars, just getting rid of them. But yeah, absolutely. You owned a paper recycling business in your adult yep. years. Is it, is it true or urban myth that in 1952, this set of baseball cards didn't sell very well, and most of them were tossed in the Hudson River by the uh, the, the top's owner, Cy Berger, because he didn't want to pay for storage at the time, yep, right? Yep, the story is that that's absolutely true, and they were mostly the high, there were two sets of uh, cards, high numbers and, and low numbers, and the high numbers were, were printed when the kids went back to school, so they didn't sell very well. So at that point, they'd figure they would just take them out and just dump, you know, dump them in the river. What's the story and history of this particular card, Anthony? A famous card collector, as I understand it, bought it, sold it, rebought it, and then sold it to you. Clear that up for me. That's correct. Back in, uh, I guess it was the uh, it was the eighties, a gentleman by the name of Alan Rosen who ultimately got the name Mr. Mint, uh, was responsible for this famous baseball find. I guess he received the phone call from a young boy out in, uh, in the Boston area who claimed that his dad was a delivery man and used to deliver cards for tops. And I guess when his dad retired, he had a, a couple cases of baseball cards in his attic. So Mr. Rosen had gone out there and went through all the cards and I think he found supposedly like eight or nine, what he called perfect 52 top speaking Mantle baseball cards in that collection. Mm. And he became very well known for that find. Mm. 5,500 cards he bought from that, from that truck driver, $125,000. He paid for the five, 5,500 cards in 1986. So were you all obviously a Mickey Mantle fan? Were you always on the lookout for this particular card were there other yes. cars out there that you saw other versions of this car that's not in the best condition? Explain to me. And then then comes this day in, what, 1991, when you're at Madison Square Garden with uh, one or both of your sons. Yep, absolutely. That was Father's Day week in 1991. Yeah, we, my boys and I had been looking for a 52 Tops card for Mickey for probably two years at that time. And we came across some nice ones, but we never came across ones that kind of fit uh, what we were looking for. And I, you know, I was always a firm believer in anything I purchased. I always tell, told my sons, you know what, even if you have to overpay for something, if it's the best that's out there, when you go to sell it one day, you'll always get the money uh, that you're asking because there'll be somebody just as crazy as we are <laughs> to pay you know, what, what they want. So. Uh, <laughs> so tell us more about that 1991 day. You're at Madison Square Garden at some sort of a show. We walked in the, the door, and typically when you walked into any show, um, Alan Rosen's table was the first table you came to. Okay. And there he was. And I kind of I walked by him because Alan, while he was always a gentleman to my boys and I, he just wasn't a very personable person. So I felt as though, you know what, I wasn't going to talk to him and start to show off with something not nice. So I just walked by him mm -hmm. and my son, Ralphie, uh, went over to the table and he'd stand and he's looking at a card. And I, I was about five tables, six tables uh, away down the, you know, the aisle. And he came to me, he said that you got to come over here. He said, I, I found the card. I said, what do you mean? So I, 
I found the 52 Tops card. We, we have to buy it. It's the best we're ever going to find. We'll never see another one. So I said, you know what, Ralph? I don't want to go over there because Alan kind of knew me because, you know, the industry always uh, would talk about what people purchase. And and I just didn't felt as though I didn't want to go over there because the card, I think he was asking uh, 57500 for it. Mm-hmm. If he saw it was for me, he probably would have raised it to 67500 <laughs> <laughs> So I, uh, I said to my son, well, take a look at the card. And he asked him to take it out of the uh, holder because he had just one card on his whole table. His table was probably maybe eight feet long. And it was just one card, and he had it, you know, in the holder. So my my uh, son went over and you know he asked him, Mr. Rosen, could you would you be so kind to take this out of the uh, the holder? And, and, and he's he wasn't normally nice to older people, let alone young kids. So it was pretty it was pretty surprising. He actually you know spoke with my my son and took the card out of the holder, and Ralphie was looking at it. Uh, and he said, you know, uh, what do you have on it? And, and Mr. Rosen said, uh, 57.5. So my son, Ralphie, said, would you take 50 for it? And he looked at my son. He said, son, that, that's 57,500, son, not $57.50. Or, you know, 57. <laughs> yeah. He actually wrote a book uh, in one of his books. I think it was called Mr. Mint. There's a chapter on the on this card. And he, he actually describes the entire sale the way I'm telling you this. Uh, how, so, old, how old was Ralphie at the time? I want to say Ralphie was probably so 91. He was born in 74. He's 17 years old. Yeah, he's 16, 17 years old. Yep. 17 yep. years old. So he's 17 years old. He sees this card. He knows his dad will like. His dad's playing possum yep. over on the other side of the room. <laughs> uh, you got a 17-year-old yep. with a with a uh, an age-old collector offering him $50,000 for this card. Why wasn't there more hullabaloo around this card? If this card was everything that it was, why weren't there collectors circling like vultures with Ralphie well, trying I, to buy this card? Well, the, well, there were after the sale because we had gone in a little bit earlier uh, when they kind of uh, let what they called back then VIP people in. So having purchased a lot of memorabilia and many, many of the dealers knowing me, we were allowed in a little bit earlier. And of course, you know, some people passed passed by it and just kept walking because at that time, I think book value on a 52 tops Mickey Mantle card uh, was like 20,000. Mm-hmm. So when Alan's asking 57,500 for the card, people, you know, believe he was crazy. Right. How does a guy pay $50,000 for a card in 1991 at a show? Do you write him a check? Do you have to go get a cashier? So how does how does that work? How does the financial dynamic work in 1991? Yeah, I, yeah, I actually I actually gave him a ten thousand dollar deposit, and then I told him I'd be by the next day uh, with my son to pick to pick him up. And, and, and he said, "Okay, fine." I don't think he kind of believed it, but you know, <laughs> he did. But you know, after we purchased the car, though, he, he really was a gentleman. He he took my son and I, and my son Anthony was home, I think, uh, sick at the time. So it was just my, my son, Ralphie, and I. He took us in the back room, and we spent like an hour and a half with Reggie Jackson talking sports. Oh. And yeah, he actually gave my son a, a wax pack back then, which might have been worth maybe $500. And today, I'm, I'm sure that wax pack worth probably north of about 5000 So wow. he, he was always a gentleman with us as much as, you know, he had that uh, reputation of, of being a grumpy old guy. Grumpy old guy. All right, so you've now yeah. made the purchase for $50,000. You've bought 
this mantle 1952 rookie card, which many, many, many years later, that's 91. So you go 31 years later, you're selling it for 12.6 million. Let's talk about your life with the card, Anthony, and your family. What do you do with it for 30 years? Is it in a safety deposit box? Is it in a vault? Is it on an office desk? Do you show it around to your friends? What do you do with it? And and what did it mean to you and your family for those 30 years? It was actually in a vaulted, secured room with cameras on and monitoring it 24 hours a day. I mean, I go to Italy every year. I would watch it from um, from the Amalfi Coast. I would look at my card to make sure everything was all right. <laughs> so... We, you know, we've had it. We, we've had it for 31 years now. We really enjoyed it. We, you know, I followed the card from the day I bought it. I think maybe it was maybe three months later. A card sold for seventy-five thousand, and then a year later, one sold for uh, eighty thousand, and a hundred, and then a million, and then a million two. And we had an offer. Oh gosh, I guess about six years ago, where a gentleman came out and offered us two million dollars for it, and. So you show it to friends and you have people over to the house. To you, you take yep. you take yep. you don't take it to the circus or anything like that, do you? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't take it around and show it. But if, you know, of course, and it's kind of a piece of art. You know, people are comparing it to Picassos and Rembrandts and stuff like that because because of the oddity of it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you think about the oddity of fine art and what it's worth because there's you know, only so many of them. But I, I guarantee you now, since this sale you're going to start to see these cards come out of the woodwork everywhere. Wow. So you got $12.6 million for it. Why was the time right now? You didn't sell it to the guy who offered you $2 million. Kind of give us the thought process to why this is the right time, Anthony. I think the time right now was right just because I think if, if you were selling it for the dollars and cents value, I think the timing was perfect because anything you looked at, whether it was fine watches, real estate, uh, any collectible, car collectibles, everything just peaked out and peaked out. So I've been kind of haunted for probably three or four months after the pandemic started to uh, to sell this card. And at that time, like I said, I, was, I wasn't interested and I we had some offers on it, but I guess it was maybe five months ago, four or five months ago, after sitting back and thinking about what the whole entire United States went through with that pandemic, I figured, you know what, it's time. My friends, my family, we've all enjoyed it. It's it's time for somebody else to do so and to bring a little happiness and light to the sports memorabilia business. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I interviewed, you know, three or four companies. And of course, when Heritage came, I was impressed with them and I gave it to them and they did a heck of a job. And then you had another dilemma that I read a blurb about. You you said you would go with Heritage to auction off the card. Of course, you don't know how much you're going to get for the card until the auction goes off. And from what I understand, an actor or some sort of a collector came to you at the last minute and said, I'll give you $10 million. Pull it from Heritage and I'll give you $10 million for the card, right? I, that's true. How did you hear about that? Because... <laughs> I have my ways. I do <laughs> well, my I'll research. You, <laughs> you're, on, you're on top of your, you're definitely on top of your game because we never told them about it. Yeah. Yes, actually. And um, we would have never done that because we gave our word to Heritage. But, you know, he, he, uh, he actually was one of the, not one of, he was the gentleman that held the record for the most money paid for a 52 tops card before my card sold. Oh. And he I guess he wanted to upgrade his card a little bit, but you know, actually we we've already committed to heritage. So Anthony, let's finish up with uh, the last 31 years and what it feels like not to own the card. I'm assuming you don't know 
the new owner of the card, right? It was an anonymous. No, I don't. Okay. I, I don't know the new owner. I haven't met him yet. Reflect for me. How old are you now? 75, 76 years old? And the kids yep. are the kids were born in 1974, so they're 26 yep. plus yep. 22. They're 48. They're coming up on 50. What were the last 31 years like, Anthony, around the dinner table? And what kind of a blessing was this card in terms of bringing the family together? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm glad you, you asked that because that's what made the, the sale of this card so great. I mean, the m- money's one thing, and you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that's not a lot of money, but to see I mean, my grandchildren, I have seven grandchildren. The oldest is uh, you know 18, and my youngest is eight. And all of their lives old, they've ever heard about or talked about, or you know, it's Peepaw's collection and Peepaw's Mickey Mantle card and Peepaw's card. But when they when we went to the Nationals and they experienced this card and what we went through, I mean, from the second we we got out of our vehicles and and, and I mean, we walked right into the Nationals. No one even stopped us because there were TV cameras on us. And I felt like I said to my boys, I know how Chloe Kardashian feels. <laughs> <laughs> they were kind of following us everywhere. But, they're, they're, you know, in closing, there's one picture. I think I have your cell number. When we get done, I'm going to send it to you. It's a it's a photo. All my grandchildren got a chance to take a picture with the card. And Heritage actually had a big blow-up made. Like when you go to a carnival and they have the face cut out and, you know, you could stick your face and be next to, uh, you know, a president or something. But there's one picture of my son, my youngest grandson, standing with his back to me with the number seven jersey on with mantle on the backs, staring at a large photo of Ty Cobb and some of the old baseball players. I said to my boys, guess what? The money was fine, but this is what made the sale of this card spectacular. Please send me that uh, that picture. I think our audience now hearing the story would love to see the picture that goes along with this incredible life story of a 1952 rookie Mickey Mantle card that he purchased from uh, Alan Rosen in Madison Square Garden for 50 grand in 1991 and just a couple of weeks ago sold it for 12.6 million dollars. What a great story, Anthony. I'm privileged and our audience is privileged that you would share it with us. Thanks so very much and all the very best to you. Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered. You, Ben. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, Zeke's Pizza President Dan Black with an update on all the exciting stuff happening in their world. It's football season, Dan. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, we're always excited for football season. Can't wait for the Hawks. Can't wait for the Dogs. Uh, we're ready to go. Summer has gotten away from us, but some exciting additions to the Zeke's Pizza family. We've got Mount Lake Terrace. We've got Seward Park, both open on the same day. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, when you open restaurants, it's kind of fluid as to the exact opening dates right up until the end. And it turns out that Terrace Station up in Mount Lake Terrace and Seward Park both opened on August 24th. They're both doing great. I've mentioned before that they're both full-blown pizza pubs. It's the full Zeke's experience. I love hanging out at both places. Seward Park has actually become my on the way home beer spot, even though it's totally not on my way home. So uh, that speaks to how cool that one is. It's very neighborhoody. And so, yeah, that's they're They're both really great. It's amazing because now you're south to Tacoma. You're north yep. to Bellingham. We know about Spokane. 
And now some exciting news about going out of state. Yeah, I think I mentioned we were working on a deal in Boise, maybe, but we got it done a couple of weeks ago. And that is really exciting. It'll be our first one out of Washington State. Boise is obviously an exciting up and coming city that's that's been booming for a while and a lot of cool energy down there. It's a really great match for Zeke's. They're very outdoorsy down there, which is always a great connection for us. So we'll be up in eight to 10 weeks. It'll be a great beer drinking spot. And we think people in Idaho are going to like Zeke's a lot. It's unimaginable how large the footprint has become, Dan. Operationally, what are the challenges for you guys? Yeah, not only have we been opening quite a few units just in general, but the the big story, as you mentioned recently, is the expansion of the footprint with Bellingham, Spokane, and Boise coming in relatively short order. Uh, it does create some operational challenges. The main one is is dough and the way we've solved that. It's actually a great thing for the customer. The, the ones that are out of our commissary range, mm-hmm. they make their dough fresh on site every day. And so it's actually even fresher than, than what you get in Seattle, even though we do that every day in the morning here too. But um, so it's so far, it's been great. What's the black family eating these days? You know, I think I've mentioned our new pepperoni from a company called Coro in town that used to be Salumi and their all their products are really great, but we switched over to their pepperoni a few months ago and <laughs> we the black family can't order anything different. So we've been eating Puget Pounders, John Candies, Dragons. It's the pepperoni's really good. That's what we're on right now. I think we're going to be on it for a while cuz it's uh like I say it's tough to get away from it. It's that good. Very very exciting. Mount Lake Terrace Station, Seward Park, Boise still yet to come. Amazing things happening at Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. It's time for a visit with a man who is to thank for all of our fun contests on Mitch Unfiltered, like Beat the Boys this NFL season, presented by Fireside Home Solutions. He's my guy, John Waterstrat. He's still my guy, even though he kicked my ass on the golf course the other day. How are you, John? I'm doing great. Thanks, Mitch. Good to have you back. Tell us what's new. What's new at Fireside? Uh, just the same things. Inventory seems to be getting better. Uh, lead times are going down, and we're really excited. When we hear football, we hear fall and that cold, crisp weather, and we'll get you warm and cozy this fall. Well, if we need a new fireplace or we want to change ours out, I understand that you have a, a neat special that's going on at Fireside Home Solutions. Yep, yep. I know it's been tough out there and prices have gone up. So we're giving up to $300 off of a gas insert so we can help out people and get you warm and cozy this fall. Wow. So up to $300 off of a gas insert just by coming into the store. Yeah, Heat and Glow's offering up to $300. You can just go on there. We'll help you get the coupon. It'll be really easy. We'll take it right off the bill and then uh, we'll get that thing installed quickly. And where are we in terms of wait times these days, John, at Fireside? Great question. And I know we always get those questions and we've been bringing things in stock. We've gotten really good at that. So for stock items, we're out about two weeks and for non-stock up to about four weeks, but uh, way better than we were a few years ago. So Fireside and FiresideHomeSolutions.com up to $300 off a brand new insert this fall and Fireside, a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Start your search with Fireside Home Solutions at FiresideHomeSolutions.com Unfiltered Episode 206, other stuff segment, Hotshot Scott. A lot of exciting things over the weekend. Yep. Seattle sports anyway. Mariners take two out of three in the most exciting fashion imaginable on Sunday. You got the Seahawks beating Russell Wilson in his return on Monday. 
You've got the dogs oh. taking care of business against a, a bad team, but now getting ready for a, a game that now a lot of people are talking about, Michigan State. you got the Cougs going on the road Unreal. and winning at Camp Randall. At uh, at Wisconsin and Madison, Wisconsin, a lot of a lot of interesting shit going on. Good stuff. A lot of a lot of fun. A lot of good stuff. And the Chargers and the Raiders fans were beating the shit out of each other, and they were enjoying themselves as well at (laughs) SoFi Stadium. They were having so much fun. Several fans got into a. I mean, who could have seen Raider fans and Charger fans fighting? Right. I mean, who could have seen that coming? Yeah. Yeah. There's a big a woman. Anybody die? I didn't see anyone I'm die. laughing, but did anybody Several die? fans got into a wild brawl, and things got so violent during the altercation. One woman ended up being punched in the face twice by a man. Yes. Awesome. No word on if anyone was hurt or injured during the mayhem. And at the Clemson-Georgia Tech game on Monday night, a violent fight erupted between two fans, and all hell broke loose. Two guys exchanged blows for several moments. It's all, mm. it's all caught on video if that's your thing. Fan fights. Go. Dogs two-point favorites in Vegas How over Michigan that? State. How about that? Over under 55. The Cougs, here's your trivia question. The Cougs, after their big win against Wisconsin, come home and host Colorado State at 0-2. Okay. Who would be the quarterback that's coming in with Colorado State to face the Cougs oh boy. on Saturday in Pullman, Washington? Should I know this? Is there another Halinski? No. Okay. I'll give you a hint. He was 16 of 20 against Michigan in his first game ever as a freshman quarterback at Colorado State. And in his second game against uh, Middle Tennessee State University, he was 20 of 30 with three touchdowns. This young man. Is it a Millen? It's a Millen. Ah, there we go. All right. Mount Si High School. Wow. Being Colorado State quarterback by Clay Millen okay. coming into to Pullman. On Saturday. How about a, that? It's always a safe bet to just guess a, a Millen. He's got a bunch of them and, out there. Well, there's only two. <laughs> oh, is that right? I and his older more. brother, you know where his older brother is? <laughs> no. It's funny who his older brother plays for. Interesting who his older brother played for. So his older brother, Kale, who I think was supposed to be the better of the two. Okay. I don't want to get into that. But he went to Oregon originally. Uh, that I remember. remember that? Yeah. Then he transferred to Northern Arizona University okay. because he didn't get the job at Oregon. And then after one year, he transferred a second time because they can transfer now all around, not set out a year. And you'll never guess. Well, if you really thought about it, you probably could guess where he went on the second transfer and who he plays for now. His dad's best buddy. Who's his dad's best buddy? Jim Mora? Yes. And where is Jim Mora coaching? See, I don't know. UConn. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Kale Millen oh, wow. plays for Jim Mora at UConn. Okay. Who last Saturday played Syracuse and lost by four touchdowns. <laughs> did, did Millen, <laughs> is, he, <laughs> is he the starter, Millen? No, he's a, he's a backup. Oh, he is. Okay. He's a backup. So you can't blame it on him. No, no. But I'd like to blame it on you anyway. <laughs> Sounds because good. Because he hates short QBs. That's right. <laughs> uh, what do you got? Steven Spielberg may have done it again. You his- sent me a picture do you need to tell me who was in that picture? You asked me how many I could name. How many of the directors, the oh, producers yeah, yeah. I could name. Was, you sent me an old picture. It was like a month ago, wasn't it? No, it was like three days ago. <laughs> and I even that? showed my kids. Yeah, how many did you get? I told you. I got Scorsese. Yep. The 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 doofus that did Star Wars, the overrated George Star Lucas. Wars. George Lucas. He's hardly a doofus, series. okay, yes. Um, I got him. Yes. I got Steven Spielberg, of course. Yeah. I, I wouldn't miss him. And there was a fourth one that I knew. Okay. Can't remember because I'm not looking at the picture. So you got Scorsese, Spielberg. Oh, you would know Ron Howard probably. Ron Howard? Opie. Opie. You would Opie. recognize He's him. the first guy I got. Yes. Yeah. 
But the others I couldn't get. Who was out, who Ra- else was sitting at the table? That would be uh, Francis Ford Coppola on the end. He oh, did Godfather yeah. 1 and 2. You've heard I of those should've, movies? I should have yes, known. Yes. He was very familiar looking to me, and I should have known. That's that. Robert Zemeckis. He was kind of the... Bob Zemeckis from Baltimore. Kind of the... That's right. Kind of the, the new boy in town in that Yo, picture. Yo, I know Bobby Zemeckis. Back to the Future. I mean, I don't know him personally, but, but I, I know him. familiar with him. Yeah, Bobby so, Zemeckis. That's a hell of a... Oh, no, and maybe they, he's not from Baltimore. Maybe there was another guy from Baltimore. A lot of people think that's Rob Reiner in the middle with the, with the gray it's beard. Not Rob Reiner. His name's Brian De Palma. Oh. You heard of him. He's a dressed to kill. Oh, Carrie, I mean no, Carlito's no. way. No, no, no. Dressed to kill. <laughs> is that is that his movie? Angie Dickinson in the shower. Oh, at the beginning of the movie. Now I gotta watch. I love Angie Dickinson. Who didn't love Angie? Dick- you have to. You're 90 years old if you like Angie Dickinson. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think Brian De Palma did dress to kill. I don't know that I ever even saw the full movie. It was very bizarre. But Angie Dickinson was in it. Okay. Yeah, I loved he's, Angie Dickinson great, growing up. I mean, all seven of those directors sitting around. That's a, maybe a, Brian De Palma didn't do Dress to Kill. I may have just <laughs> ruined it. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, Spielberg. He may have done it again. His latest movie got a standing ovation. I know this story, the, and I can't wait to watch it. It's the, about him, right? It's partly biopic, he says. Yes, because yes, he was, of course, obsessed with movies, and yeah. so something uh, about the Millmans or the well, the Mailers. There's what? Oscar buzz for this thing. Yeah. And what's it called? Et Two Elliot's Revenge. No, I'm just kidding. No. It's, it's called something about, there's a name. Milman's, the Fablemans. The Fablemans. It's about yeah. a kid growing up with a creative yeah. mother who's into the arts, but. I want to watch. Of course, you know, dad isn't really into that and wants his son to get a real job. So, yeah, I mean, people are talking about this. So, yes, hopefully yes. Spielberg will make a couple bucks and yes. his family can move out of that crappy apartment in Reseda and get a nice house. Three thought. Three thought. <laughs> He's doing okay. He had to give. I remember, this is how, how weird I am. When you say Steven Spielberg, I remember the original divorce. When he got divorced. Record breaker. Yeah. yeah. It was the all-time record yep. holder. It sure was. Yeah. That's probably not was what it he Amy loves. Was it Amy Irving or is that the one he's married to now? I don't think it was. It, it, it was His probably. His first divorce broke all kinds of records. It sure did. I think it broke Alex Rodriguez's record, it, Babe Ruth's record. It was the standard for divorces for a long time. All right. Yes. I got a couple of uh, NFL things for Go you. Go ahead. God, the Niners were terrible against the Bears, now giving me hope that the Seahawks might beat the Niners in their opener. Probably won't. God, the Cardinals were terrible, getting embarrassed by the Chiefs at home. Mahomes dropped five touchdowns on them? Yeah, Kyler Murray will never win anything big. I don't care how much money they give him. Okay. And God, the Rams got pretty much sealed up at home against a really good Buffalo Bills team on Thursday night. I'm not sure the NFC was any good this year. Well, I'll it's take there, it. It's there to be had. It's it's so hard. I mean, people don't realize. I've been saying, Seahawks fans went to back-to-back Super Bowls. That's not easy to do. Look at the Rams. They looked awful. <laughs> they, they looked uninspired and just, eh, whatever. And it was on, <sighs> by the way, if you had to, the Bills just look like that young, brash team that's just going to kick the shit out of everyone and win the Super they Bowl, do, don't but they? do, but it never happens that way. Oh, it doesn't. Okay. Now, I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen that the Bills will be the best team and yeah. may win the Super Bowl, but... There's always that team that looks really good early that everybody thought was going to be good. Okay. And then they get a couple of injuries, or maybe Josh Allen gets hurt, misses a few games. Okay. And then come, I'm not saying they aren't. They 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 look like the best team. Yeah, I know what you're saying though. They're not going to run the table one through seventeen looking like they did against the Rams. Lamar Jackson is pissed. He is. He had for a, a couple of, of reasons. Hell of a touchdown pass over the weekend. But why is he pissed? I don't know. Well, you know he didn't get his contract. He's negotiating his his own contract. That's He's right. his own agent. He set a deadline of opening day. If the deal's not done, I'm playing the year out and I'm going to become a free agent unless they, of course, they franchise him, which, you know, gives them all the power in the world anyway. 
He does not like the fact that it leaked on what their best offer is. He's pissed at whoever leaked what the best offer was. It turns out that Lamar Jackson was offered. Are you ready? Oh, no. Well, let me let me put it into context before I tell you that Russell Wilson got five years, $245 million, Yep. And I think 120-something million guaranteed, something like that. Okay. Lamar Jackson, it got leaked, turned down a five-year contract that would be worth up to $290 million. Turned it down. Wow. $133 million would have been guaranteed, which is more than Russell Wilson got guaranteed. The reason he turned it down, according to reports, he wanted every penny of his $250 to $290 million contract guaranteed upon signing. Wow. That's probably why he needs an agent. Right? I mean, they're not going to guarantee every cent of that kind of... They did with Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Wow. He turned it down. Who would you... Well... Lamar Jackson's younger. I was going to say, who would you rather have, Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, it's not a fair fight because of the age. If they were the same age, who would you rather have? I, I mean, I'm a Seahawks fan. I loved Russell. He won a Super Bowl. So, yeah, I'd go with Russell Wilson. Lamar Jackson. I love Lamar Jackson. By the way, Lamar Jackson is a former MVP. Yeah. No. And Russell Wilson never got a vote. Forget <laughs> being true. an MVP. He's never gotten one MVP vote, and Lamar Jackson is an MVP. He just can't stay away from that's those, those jet skis that he almost kills himself. Wasn't that him? In oh, that yeah, video? I saw that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he almost ended his not only his career, his life, trying to catch a football near a jet ski on a beach. And then there's Dak Prescott. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Broken thumb, he's done. Poor guy. For six to eight weeks. And the Cowboys... I don't know what what is it about me? I'm just a I'm just a really kind of angry, miserable human being, aren't I? I don't like anything. Everybody tells me I don't like anything. <laughs> yeah, but I'm kind of with you. And I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a, a, another just another example of me just being bitter old man. Okay. Sunday night, game is on. Buccaneers versus Cowboys. We're watching a little bit here. Then we went to get pho. You ever go get pho? Oh sure, yeah. Took the family to get pho. Yep. Made sure that we went to a pho place that had the TVs because we were all watching the game. It's it's a nice cold weather, like cool weather. Food. Yeah, but it wasn't cool. Oh, it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> Never but we mind. got we got a little pho. Yeah, pho's delicious. I got a little pho ga. Oh, you what did. I, this is the one I get. I like when they do get creative with the names, like what the pho and yeah, all. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, cute. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we're watching the game, and they're just they're just sucking the air out of that stadium. I mean, they are so bad. They were so. Uh, did you watch on Sunday night? No. They were so non-competitive. They were really? so bad. And I'm talking about with Dak Prescott. He came out with a couple minutes, to go, like a minute and a half. The game was over when he came out. Okay. So he played the whole game. Yeah. They were just terrible. I mean, just terrible. And here I am watching the game. And every time they do something bad, they, it's, the, it's the inevitable Jerry Jones cutaway. Right. You know the one I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, I do. Where they show the shot of him in the <laughs> owner's box with yep. his hands up, with his chin on his hands yep. like look at I just love that I'm so miserable <laughs> that I'm like I'm like in I'm in I'm like having pho little tofu oh sure and I'm like cue the shot bring the shot up yeah, and yeah. I'm like yeah there it is again you're like, reveling in someone's misery just I love that you're shot. loving it I love the far away <laughs> shot of Jerry Jones just clinching his teeth yeah over what he's watching on the on the, on the on the house that Jerry built like the the five billion dollar stadium and they're just they're just awful. And, and, I, and he paid Dak, right? I mean, Dak got his I kinda, contract. The funny thing is I kind of like Dak. Yeah. But, I mean, Jerry's probably thinking. I think he's a good guy. I really like him. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree he's with got, you. I think he's got a really 
good heart, good spirit. To I'm him, just so I'm, speaking I'm from, from yeah. Jerry's point of view. Like, uh, I just wrote a check for this guy. Uh, now he can't even play for they me. They are just piss poor. <laughs> the Cowboys are... I'm telling you right now, the Eagles are better than the Cowboys. The... Uh, I don't know what they're called either. The Commanders okay, are better than the uh, yeah. than the Cowboys. <laughs> I'm not sure the Giants are better than, but they might. The Giants might be better with the new coach than the Cowboys. Just bad. Anyway, your turn. You're America's up. team just yep. annoyed everybody. Just terrible. We did- the cutaway. The cutaway. <laughs> of Jerry jo- Love it. By the way, you see who was on the box with uh, with Robert Kraft at at your uh, down in your stadium? You see that? Not only did I see Mike Tyson sitting next to him. Yeah. There was a moment. This is again how pathetic my life is. Okay. I'm watching that game, and they show the cutaway of Mike Tyson and Bob Kraft. I think I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. And I'm lip reading. Oh, okay. I'm lip reading. And I can't tell you exactly what happened, but I can tell you close. Bob Kraft said something to Mike Tyson at the very moment that the cameras were on them, and it was on TV. I don't know what he said. Okay. But he touched Mike Tyson's heart. You could just see. He was like, thank you, thank you. He was like, thank you so much. You could see Mike Tyson thanking him for something that he had said. And then he put, Tyson actually put his arm, his hand on Robert Kraft's arm to say thank you, like as a, as a, a, a term of endearment, like thank you so much. And then Robert Kraft like patted him like, he said, I would love, I'm dying. I've been dying to know. (laughs) This is what keeps you up at night. Yes. What is it that Robert Kraft said? That really touched. You could just tell he was very like moved huh. by, and, and it just happened to ha- it just happened to happen when they were on camera and the game, you know, during the game. See, I thought you were going to say somebody needs to ask what did Robert Kraft <laughs> say to Mike Tyson that really touched him. I'd love to know too. I'm dying to know. There was one awkward moment where Tyson went to give Kraft a fist bump, who of course missed the cue, but you know the two managed to work it out at the end. But I always love that that unintended humor where you know they I slap and then they do the oh geez, they can never like work it out. I think you're talking about maybe the arm thing. No, Tyson, they, there was like an awkward fist. It was bump a little awkward where... when he grabbed his arm and the other one grabbed the other one's arm. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if. Well, maybe I, maybe I, there was two awkward I don't remember any. Fi- First of all, there wasn't a lot to be fist bumping about if you're Robert Kraft. So yeah. I don't know how many moments there were in that game that would cause a fist bump. <laughs> hey, we haven't even talked about Sue Burt retiring, or did we? I can't yeah, remember. We yeah, we did. Oh, we did. A little bit. Yeah, they choked. Sure. <laughs> it's been a stirring tribute to Sue Bird. No, we love Sue Bird. We talked yes. about how I thought we talked about whether she should be on. Did we talk about Mount Rush? Maybe I did it with somebody else. I don't know. Maybe no, we, I think we did it, but it was... Anyway, Sue Bird retired, for those that don't yeah. know. Have you heard the Brianna... Is it Brianna or Brianna? Brianna. Have you heard the Brianna Stewart story? No. Apparently, there's some doubt whether Brianna Stewart is going to play not only for the, for the Storm next year, but for anybody in the WNBA next year. She is a free agent. She is now without a contract. Oh, wow. And there's some, and I'm sorry, I only have half the story. I don't know, maybe a quarter of the story. There's some silly rule that the WNBA has that if you play overseas and you get back too late, yeah, like after a day or two where this game start to be played, you can't play, you're ineligible or something to play. In the, I, I probably have wow. that screwed up. Okay. But go, go do a search if you're, if you're even interested in it. Yeah. And you'll see stories being written about where Brianna Stewart is going to play if she is going to play in the WNBA next wow, year. Wow, I'd really suck to lose her. That as would a be terrible. Storm fan. Well, as a WNBA, how about just as a 
Yeah. Woman's probably, she's one of the best five players in the world, right. isn't she? Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. definitely. All right. You see the California-based auction company selling that unusual piece of Detroit Tigers memorabilia? No. Ty Cobb's dentures. <laughs> SCP auction said in the listing for the uh. false teeth that the upper and lower sets of dentures are included in the lot, including a brass opening device. Any reason they couldn't have buried him with his Have false you ever seen teeth? somebody take out their false teeth? In it's, your life? It's unsettling. Yeah, I've seen it. You have seen yeah, it? Yeah, I have grand, grandparents had it, yeah. It's but you weird. saw them take it out? And they would put it in a glass of water. Oh, yeah, they always the put bed. it in a glass of water. Uh, Why do you have to do that? <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable, the whole thing. Anyway, Ty Cobb, of course, played from 1905-1926. He still holds the Major League Baseball record for career batting. You can wait, buy these. Wait, I'm going to tell you my, my denture story. Okay, but these sold, these teeth, $18,000 somebody paid for Ty Cobb's dentures. For his, there's chompers. Yeah, chompers. Uh, Denture story. I don't remember what summer it was. I think it was, and I don't even remember which brother. I stayed with my brothers during the summers when I was going to college. Yep. They both lived in Manhattan. Perfect. And I had internships in Manhattan. NBA, I right? I did one yeah. year at the NBA. And I don't remember which one it was, but one of them had a housekeeper that would come in like every two weeks to clean up the... The, the tiniest apartment you've ever seen. <laughs> right. it took about six minutes to <laughs> clean up the apartment. And I came back. It was, the, it was the brother that I was staying with at the time. And I came back from whatever, and she was in the apartment. I was like, oh, should I go in? Yeah. I probably shouldn't go in. It's such a small apartment. Maybe I shouldn't go in. You'd be in I go way. in to say it's hello. Weird, yeah. She says, hello, hello. And I'd seen her before, whatever. And I look at the windowsill, and her teeth are sitting in the Come on. <laughs> really? Yes. Are you sure? She couldn't clean with the teeth in? <laughs> why not? <laughs> too, too cumbersome to sweep with I don't know why. <clears throat> All I can tell you is she took her teeth out oh, God. to clean the apartment and she laid them. You know what I mean? The windowsill? Yeah. Like that little I'm, spot right there. I'm familiar with what a windowsill is. is that what, I don't know. Maybe yeah, I'm, I, is that a windowsill? I think it is. The yes. little ledgy yeah, part? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like not on a napkin. No, they're just sitting there. Just sitting like, right there on the I old dust. Like, I'm like... <laughs> Oh my God, are those teeth? Oh man, a couple of dead bugs, you know, that in the windowsill that got caught. Gross. Oh man. Oh God. All right, your buddy OJ Simpson returned to God, LA. You're doing a lot in a row. Go ahead. Oh, I just I thought. Go, oh, go ahead. A couple more. No, you go. Well, your buddy OJ returned to LA and did he? You still follow him on Twitter? Yes. Is he still doing the selfie like the? Here's what I got to say. Oh, I, you know, if you know. Yes. He's and still then doing what does that. he say to to, to log out? Uh, does he say OJ that's out what I'm or thinking, something? Or something like, that's what I'm saying. Or, or that's Yeah, all he's I'm got saying. some he's got, dumb got... thing that's not catching on. You're not Larry the Cable Guy. Well, he's got like a... Well, well, well I was going to tell you, guys. he was like a rock star outside the stadium. Fans flocking was he? To, for him. He was in LA for, for the Bills game. Oh, okay. For Fans were flocking to fist bumping, hugging. They could he's not... allowed in LA? They could not get enough of him. I, I know, right? I think he was allowed in LA. Let's not forget a civil jury ruled that he murdered his wife and a waiter. I mean, wow, people are uh, kind of quick to... People yeah. are so starstruck. They just, they don't think sometimes. Anyway, only, it just only, kind of annoyed me. Only Jewish guy to win the Heisman. That's right. Yeah. Fred yeah. Goldman. Fred Goldman. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's oh, terrible. Yeah. I shouldn't have said that. No. Um, you want me to go? Yeah, go. I am, I'm getting yelled at for taking too many, so go ahead. No, go ahead. You want to go more? No, go ahead. I was touched by Albert Pujols. If I asked you who the four all-time home run leaders are in baseball history, you would say... Barry Bonds. Number one. Um, come, come, Babe Ruth. Come on. Roger Maris. Come on. <laughs> Barry Bonds, one. Who's yeah. two? 
Um, I should know this, right? Come on. Oh, Hank Aaron. You're playing sorry, a game. Sorry, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, Hank Aaron, two. Yeah, three. Yes. Is it Albert? Who did Hank Aaron beat? Oh, uh, yes, Babe Ruth. That would be Babe Ruth. That's yes. three. We're doing well here. Thank you. Um, <laughs> who's, so 762 for Bonds, 755 for Aaron, Babe Ruth 714, and now the new solo spot at number four all time. Amazing. Albert Pujols, who just passed... Alex Rodriguez. Wow. He's now got 697 home runs. I did not know he was still playing. Although, wait, wait. I think yes, was, you did. He played for the Angels, for God's sakes, no, until he went back to the Cardinals. What? He, but I think, he, was he at the home run derby? Yes, maybe? he okay, was in the home run derby. He's got 600. And you're you're, you're going to, now my email's going to get flooded. Why do you have hot shot on? <laughs> he didn't even know that Albert Pujols was still Albert playing. Albert Pujols, yes. What's, what's he batting this year? I'd love to see. Well, he's been unbelievable in the last month. Okay. He's like he's like found the fountain of youth. He was going to retire. Now yeah. they're saying he may, he's got 697 home runs. He's fourth crazy. all time. Yeah, you, you don't think him when you think. Well, of I bring that up because when he hit his 600, you know, that's a big thing. He passed A-Rod for number four all time, 697. He had a 697th home run the other day in Pittsburgh. Matt and Samantha Brown, or one of them, caught the ball. Okay. 697, the ball that put him fourth all time. And they immediately went to the ushers and said, we want to give Albert Pujols the ball. Oh, that's nice. We don't, and, and they weren't asking for anything. Yeah, we want really to get nice. It happened to be a year to the day that Samantha Brown's father had passed away. And they were at the game because he was a big baseball oh. fan. And they caught his ball. And they went and met with Albert to... to present him the ball. To yeah. present him the ball. At which time he said, nope. I don't want the ball. I want you guys to keep it. And I want to sign two more, sign two more, and gave them two more. He said it would mean more to her than it would mean to him that she that she was able to get the ball a year after wow. her dad passed away. He refused the 697th home run ball. Yeah, that does make you kind of like him. That's nice. Very sweet. Very sweet. Yeah. Very sweet. Seems like a good guy. Nebraska fires oh my Scott gosh. Frost. Gosh, how about that? Fifteen million? Would you like to not work for fifteen million? <laughs> Georgia Southern beats you. George, I mean, not when I'm a kid, but like I mean, the '90s. I mean, Tom Osborne. Like Nebraska was just a freaking the fumble Ruski powerhouse. The fumble Ruski. Yeah, fumble Ruski. But don't but they have? It, but arguably... who took? But who took him down? Who took Tom Osborne down in the Orange Bowl? <laughs> who took him down? Not in '95. You didn't. Well, before that, in yeah. the 80s, who took them down? Well, you when they were the, the overwhelming favorite to win the national championship in the Orange Bowl. And Howard Schnellenberger's Miami Hurricanes. <laughs> you also beat them in 91. 22 nothing. Yeah, but I think it was the in the Orange I, Bowl. Yeah, but the game that I remember was they went for two. Tom Osborne went for two at the oh. end and missed it. Oh, that was, the begin, that was the beginning of the U right there. That game was the beginning of the U. That was... Um, like Who would have been the, that? Might have been Bernie Kosar. I think Bernie Kosar was the starting okay. quarterback. But what yeah. has happened in Nebraska? Always a powerhouse. God, in my I want to get paid fifteen million to uh, not do my job. That'd be nice, Please. wouldn't it? <laughs> I remember how red hot he was as a coach before he went to Nebraska. What was he at Central Florida or? Yeah, he won big at Central Florida. Bad, then he went back season. to his alma mater. Yeah, oh, Did he win the Heisman? No, but he was close. Yeah, I don't think he won. He it. was a great quarterback. Yeah. It was like a match made in heaven. Yeah. Four years later. Now they're paying him $15 million oh. not to coach. God. Jealous. It's a good gig it if you can get sure it. It sure is. All right. I only have RIP. No, I have Carlos Alcarez. Do you know who he is? No. 19-year-old Spanish tennis player, won the U.S. Open. 
He played like four hour and five. Have you ever played tennis? No. I mean, I've hit balls around, but I've never like played Have you it. ever gone out and played a match? No. Okay. Absolutely not. Why? So this is going to fall on deaf ears. doesn't matter. I was going to say, I, I used to play as a kid. You probably know yeah. that. And like you'd go out. I, see, you can't. It doesn't resonate. But you go out and play in the heat, like of the, the, the humidity of the U.S. Open in August and September. Yeah. You go out and play for an hour in a match, like after an hour, I don't care. You could be 25 years old. Yeah. You are spent after an hour okay. of tennis. If you play a match or you're trying to you're trying to win and it's a full match, after an hour, you're spent. This guy played in four consecutive matches of four to five hours each. Oh, my gosh. Five. Think about five. Consecutive. His last three matches, I believe, were all more than four hours. And I think two of them more than five. Think about going out and play. Think about going out in the heat and then just playing – as hard as you could play yeah. for five hours. Couldn't do anything for five hours. <laughs> I can't sleep for, I can't five, sleep for five hours. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, That's amazing. He, at 19 years old, is now the youngest world number one player in the history wow. of the sport. There's never, which was kind of surprising to me. I thought like one of these, I don't know if it was Sampras or Agassi or somebody yeah. who came out real young. McEnroe would have been number one. At 19. It feels like say tennis he's the is youngest. the sport where a young person can like the dominate, one, right? Yeah, the but seven. He's, the, he's the youngest. Wow, impressive. And then Iga Swiatek, I think that's how you pronounce it. She's the, the Polish women's champion now, U.S. Open women's champion. This is her third major in like the last year and a half. She's like by far and away the best okay. women's player on the on the, on the the planet. All right. Okay. So you, And I got RIPs, but I won't do the RIPs because you probably have... You have at least two of the RIPs and maybe the third. And the third, I don't even know who he is. I love this story. A Virginia man... Taking his $600 winner of a lottery ticket. That's a good, yes. that's a good winner, 600 right? Bucks, yeah. 600 bucks. That yeah. ain't nothing. Yeah. Turns it in. Lady says, that's actually a million dollar oh, winner. I saw this story. Yeah. So the question is, you know, <laughs> in poker, you know how they say cards play? Like sometimes people think they have a certain hand, but then they don't realize they actually had a better hand. So should, should the hand count that you thought you had? Well, not, not if you're at a poker establishment. <laughs> right, exactly. Cards play. I mean, right? Cards Whatever. play. Cards you throw play, them yeah. down, you don't even mention what you have. So this lady, should, should, she should get a little something because a lot of people would have said, here's your 600 bucks, sir. Have a nice life. Put that million dollar right in her pocket. <laughs> he should be thanking his lucky stars that she was, you know, had some scruples about her and didn't just rip him off because he totally thought he had a $600 ticket. All right. RIPs, we yes. probably have the same ones. Uh, yes. There was a, a member of the royal family. Did that happen? Liz? Lizzie? There is, yes, Lizzie. Yes. Queen Latifah? Yeah. Yeah, Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah, yep. 96. Yeah. The longest serving monarch in British history has passed away. Yeah. You see Reggie Jackson's tweet? No. I don't know if you'll get it. Do you like the did movie? Did he do Naked Gun? He with did. There was a gag with That's her right. Naked That's Gun. That's exactly right. Good yeah. call. Yeah. Yeah, so he tweeted out, like right when it happened. Yeah. He said, um, Reggie, he said, now we all know I was innocent. Amen. Rest in peace, Queen E. Because in the movie, he like is hypnotized and he tries to kill kill the queen. So anyway, thought that was kind of funny by mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And then I have Bernard Shaw. Got it. 82 years old, longtime yeah. CNN correspondent or anchor, I guess. It's, Long time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Kind of famous for his Gulf War coverage in 1991. Marine veteran who served yeah. during the Vietnam War. Kind of a pros a, pro on the air. That's terrific right. On the air. Yeah, yep. retired in 2001. Yep. Those are the only two RIPs I, I have. I somebody named David Arnold. Do you know who that is? No. 54-year-old stand-up comic. I, I figured you'd bring that in. You know, I, like I, a Netflix guy. He yeah. was on a Netflix special. See, I saw that, but Something I'm not familiar happened. with yeah. him. Yeah, that's too yeah. bad. 54. All right. Headlines. Are we ready? Oh, I forgot about headlines. Well, we don't have to do them. Oh. I don't want to get yelled at by somebody for ripping on 
Christians. Like. Yeah, that's right. A 16-year-old from... Next thing you'd be going after Jews. That's right. A 16-year-old from Lebanon put his memory to the test and broke a Guinness World Record by correctly identifying all of the world's national flags in four minutes flat. Wow. The teen now has his sights set on a new record. Most consecutive weekends spent home alone. Hey, what was the deal with the rocket malfunction causing the mission to be totally scrapped? Uh, oh, sorry. That was a text from my girlfriend. Never mind. Adrian Peterson was knocked out by the Bell. I have a friend, by the Bell. way, who went down to Cape Canaveral to watch it. You really? Yeah. And that was uh, exciting for them, I'm sure, right? <laughs> uh, we're going to go back now. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> you see, Adrian Peterson was knocked out by Le'Veon Bell in I the saw fifth the punch. round. I saw the punch. Right. They're set, kind of a sad boxing match over the weekend. Look, if I want to watch an old guy stagger around after running into something, I'd go for a ride with Nancy Pelosi's husband. Police were summoned. Uh, See, uh, I, uh, I guess I only go after the right. Uh, Police were summoned to an Ohio home early Friday morning when residents made an unusual discovery in their bathroom. A coyote. Not the worst ploy ever. The roadrunner was bound to use the bathroom at some point. A Japanese man who got <laughs> married. He got married to a virtual singer. He can no longer communicate with his virtual wife after a software update. They can no longer communicate to each other. But if it makes him feel any better, in a few years, there wouldn't have been any communication anyway. So don't worry about it. Be careful what you wish for, big boy. All right, I'm done. I'm leaving. Goodbye. Go Hawks. Let's all just take a second to understand what happened here in Loserville this, this past few days. Pretty crazy. I know. Really? Mariners, red hot. Seahawks had their Super Bowl on Monday night. Look, they're not going to win many games, but that was fun. Yes. Awesome. The, like, an, the anticipation of dogs, Michigan State. Love it. At like 4, 4.30 on Saturday afternoon. I mean, it's one thing if the, if the Huskies would have come out and, and, you know, 21 to 10 or so, you know, they win, but you're not. This Penix guy, he just, he looks amazing. Yeah. So, yes, I, I haven't felt this excited for a Husky game in a long time. I can't wait. Fun. It's going to be, be awesome. Fun. Yeah. And uh, the Cougs are not getting their due from us or anybody else. But, hey, the Pac-12 has been just the the shits yep. and just been taking grief for the last many years. Yeah. And they go and beat Wisconsin on the roads. So, Love it. Great. I want to end, though, with a sobering email, if I might. Okay. A little bit of a sobering email, but I want to read this because it's very important. I got this email at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. And if you have to have anything you want to say to me or the show, you can write us anytime. Mitch, hi, Mitch. This isn't normally the kind of email that I would write, but sometimes life happens and you seek help from all sources. My two-and-a-half-year-old son was recently diagnosed with a rare 1 in 77,000 inherited bone marrow failure disease called Schwachmann-Diamond Syndrome. I hope I pronounced that right. Okay. Schwachmann or Schwachmann-Diamond Syndrome. This disease puts him at high risk for leukemia and total bone marrow failure, which may require a bone marrow transplant. He's two-and-a-half. There is no cure for this disease. Kids like Jaden and so many others are in need of bone marrow donors. If you would share this with your listeners, I would be eternally grateful. It's two minutes to sign up and they mail a kit to your house to do a swab and send back. They just need to text Jaden, J-A-Y-D-E-N, J-A-Y-D-E-N to 61474. The text number is 61474. And the name is Jaden, J-A-Y-D-E-N, okay. to get the kit. I'm sure you get these requests a lot, but I'm not too prideful to ask everyone and anyone for help in potentially saving 
my son in the future. Thank you for your time. Faithful 40 and a half, Britannia Bryant. I love it. And I know the name Britannia, and I would read this anyway, but yeah. I know the name Britannia because her name pops up into my, what do you call it, timeline? Oh, yeah, yeah. Timeline on Twitter all the time. She follows you or you follow each other She or has been nothing but incredibly supportive for the last four years. Yeah. Always has something nice to say. Had, had really nice things to say back in 2017 when I needed to read nice things. Yeah. And so you kind of remember certain names, and I remember Britannia, and I'm, my heart was broken when I read this. Yeah. And so whatever anybody's willing to do, the number is 61474. To get the kit, you text the word Jaden, J-A-Y-D-E-N, for Britannia Bryant. Great. I'm glad you're able to help her. I don't two, know if I am, but I, I I wanted to read the email. Anyway. Two and a half years old. You know, we, I'm sitting here bumming out about this and that, but sports. You know, Piper loses in the World Series, and I'm you know bumming out. But there's people going through real shit out there. It's like kind of nice every once in a while to to get a, a reset going, you know. So I hope we can help Britannia. And with that, episode 206. Yes, is in the books. 